my desk clutter is coffee cup, coffee cup, coffee cup, birthday card from last month, another birthday card. Yeah, it's just like, it's nonsensical. What you can't actually see is the small, basically, mountain of Coke bottles that are piled behind the monitors. <laughs> yeah, sure. just on yeah. those arms, right? That I just, yeah. <laughs> so I just throw them back there and keep pushing them towards the edge. And when they fall off the edge of the desk, I'm like, oh, I got to clear them out now. Yeah, that but sounds about right. Not there yet, so... Rock and roll. Yeah. So uh, let's get this show on the road. Welcome to episode 100 and something. I forgot to check. I was checking the wrong place. It's okay. We're fine. It's 100. It's in the Zencaster, Paul. Come it, on. Oh. Okay. It's fine. We're going to have one of those weeks, eh? <laughs> so this week, we're going to talk about some, uh, some Disney Plus stuff because it is. It's the know, thing. Super topical. Super Top Gun relevant. And even though it's not at all relevant in the country I'm at, I can still <laughs> download shit. So it's fine. We're <laughs> Are these not movies you own anyway? Like I well, I already had a copy of Return to Oz on my hard drive because I watch it like annually. <laughs> and Flight of the Navigator, that one was something I had to download because I haven't seen that since I was a child. So you keep Return to Oz on your hard drive like just to keep the nightmares fresh, right? Oh, of course. You know, yeah. it's important for me to like. It's just so they're in high res, of- so they don't end up getting blurry in your mind. That yeah. was a surprising thing. That movie in Blu-ray, whoo, there's a lot of detail in there that was. <laughs> you know yeah a little blurry a yeah. little blurrier than i was expecting it to be We're, we'll, we'll talk about it. that when we get the, but first uh let's get into our very like thin news week there's just not a lot that well, I who's found. here who's here paul oh oh yeah we have to introduce people thank you uh, <laughs> and, who are, and who are you paul <laughs> Do you, you want me to like? Do you, do you want, can you caffeine up? I realize. <laughs> i realize you just got some dick paul but come on um, listen <laughs> listen listen that's, yeah, yeah, it's like brain, brain fuzz. Just oh, God, <laughs> Paul has come differently, <laughs> folks. Uh, okay, anyway. Paul's just in like a jizzy haze over there, and now uh, my life is just over. Anyway. Just over. My name is Paul, and I'm a classy person <laughs> with high upstanding morals. And I am coming to you from South Korea. Coming. And... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm joined by my big brother Mark, who is completely appalled right now. I hey, just, hi, Mark. You know, hey, I'm, how's it going, everybody? You know, I just there's certain details you don't need to know about your siblings' lives. <laughs> yeah, these are those details. And we're also joined by Tim in Atlanta, Georgia. Say hi, I need Tim. to know these details, though. So Paul can, or, yeah, Mark, Mark can just Mark can just shut so his fucking So you can ears. use them yeah. against me. <laughs> fucking prick yeah take your headset off for a moment um done yeah so let's get into it because i i really didn't find that much maybe you guys found more because i was going through my my news feed and it was just kind of like whatever we have an actor announcement from the new loki series uh sophia dimartino will be joining tom hiddleston on loki and there's theories that she's going to be she loki or shloki as the fans like to call him slash her slash I think it would be really cool if they did, went the like non-binary, like gender fluid Loki route. But well, I mean, like he's a fucking trickster god, right? So yeah, it works. Why would you not bring back? God damn it! What was her name? The girl who played Sif, whose body he used. Oh, oh yeah. Fuck. Yeah, Jamie Alexander. Jamie, Jamie Alexander. Alexander. Why would they not be bringing Jamie Alexander back? This is bad. You just you me. just want to look at Jamie Alexander more. 
fucking a right i do but like <laughs> i liked her as sif though i thought she, she was, was like, great as sif yeah oh. and i mean she she wasn't in ragnarok so she, I, she could be alive i don't know how that all that stuff's working yeah, yeah she was her last appearance i think we've talked about this before her last appearance was in uh no shield no, actually it was agents of shield where she was yeah, uh right. fighting the enchantress Mm-hmm. So oh, that's right. They did do the Enchantress already. Yeah, I was just thinking of it, like they haven't done the Enchantress yet, but they have done it on the TV show. On the TV show, which which may or may not count. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. That's yeah. true too. I guess they could go back to that. Well, yeah. Why not? I mean, I don't want them to recast Sif because I like Jamie Alexander. Agreed. Well, I don't think she's been in a movie. Yeah. I think she's pretty safe. But I was just thinking, like when they, they did fu- that bit, like the fucking fucking roads bit in the comics, it was Sif, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Either way. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. She might not even be playing She Loki, so we don't. We don't know for sure. Like her casting has yeah, been assigned. We're speculating on nothing. I don't know yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> but it's fun if they do do She Loki and they bring back Jamie Alexander. I'd be super fucking pumped for that. That would be awesome. Like just yeah, go. That would be pretty cool. Just go for it. So. Next bit of news that I have is lots of Black Adam news coming out this week. They say that it actually seems to be going forward, and they say that the the JSA might be making an appearance in the Black Adam movie. Yeah, which did they actually say that? What? That is the news I'm really excited about. Yeah, Rock actually, it sounds like kind of teased it. Oh, I didn't see that. And I, I usually I'm all up to date on his social media, but I must have missed it. Let's today. see, what is it? What did he say? It was uh, an interview with Screen Rant. It's set to be an origin film of sorts. Probably won't face off against Shazam just yet, but that we will get to meet the Justice Society of America. That's so. I see. I'm on fucking board. Yeah. Well, well, you know, given their current slate, I'll take it. <laughs> what that says to me is that they're pulling heavy from that Jeff Johns JSA run yeah, because, yeah. like, that is that whole Kandak saga. So, and that's an amazing fucking story for them to adapt. So, mm-hmm. by all means, go for it. Yeah, and if Black Adam is going to be the focus, then like, is he going to be like the an anti-hero style, and the JSA is going to be the antagonist for the movie? I think that would be an interesting take on it because, like, mm. although like we've we've had our plenty of like Dark Justice League, like we just watched The Boys for God's sake, so like it's not yeah. like it's untrodden territory, but for a major film, it could be interesting. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. That's all I honestly found for news that was interesting or relevant. Did you guys find anything else? Maybe comics related? Because I didn't see anything. Well, the, the real cool one for me, although it's not something I will be able to engage in, is we are finally getting another fucking Half-Life game. Oh, yeah, the VR one. Yeah, so Half-Life Alex, which is in between. It's not Half-Life 3. It takes place in between Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2. And it looks to be (laughs) like a full, quote-unquote, full length. Who knows what that means when it comes to VR game that is, you know, put out by Valve. Uh, you know, same company that made Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2. So, I mean, I fucking love those first two Half-Life games. So, yeah. I Half-Life had. 2 still holds up, too. I was actually running it the other night. Like, I was, I was fiddling around with it the other day. I got it running on this machine. And it, it, I mean, this machine needs to be upgraded like crazy, and it still chops up Half-Life 2 at, like, 120 yeah. frames per yeah. second. So, I was having yeah. some fun. But, yeah, I could, uh, I could go for a new Half-Life game. I'm just wondering, what's the necessity to yeah. run that? Like, are we into... Is it an Oculus or something like that? Like, it's not going to get released on PlayStation VR, I'm assuming. It's going to be on a PC headset, like a Vive. I would imagine. Yeah, I imagine it's probably going to be... I mean, it's going to be through Steam. It's probably going to be Oculus or something like that, yeah. 
Ooh, those things are expensive and require expensive video yeah. cards. So, like, expensive. No, thank you. I like. I would love to have one. You know what I mean? Like, I would absolutely love to try this kind of stuff. I just wish the the, the tech's so prohibitively expensive still that it's like, yeah. Even as a wishful thinking hobbyist, it's like, pff, no. no, like, yeah, no, yeah. I still think like when it comes to peripheral management and space management and people's apartments and stuff like that, like. Even if you have a house, you do you really want to have to devote an entire room to like a VR setup? Yeah, exactly. It's not like it's really easy to like seamlessly incorporate into your living room kind of yeah. thing. Like, it's, no, you know, you've got to have all those fucking like reference points or whatever that go up on poles and shit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah, you're you're devoting an entire room. If you're living in a, a big city, not everyone's going to have that kind of space. So it's just like. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. for like maybe the suburbanite who has some extra space. Yeah. See what'll end up happening? Somebody'll hack this into a first-person shooter. You know what I mean? Or, or whatever. Mod it. It yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It'll get like modded down into something that you could just like rip through on a PC. Yeah, probably. probably. So we'll see what happens. I mean, who knows? We, maybe we can like Patreon a fucking VR experience so that Tim can scream <laughs> about Half-Life VR or whatever. <laughs> see what else happened the fucking batman movie got more overstuffed got another goddamn villain john turturro is going to be playing carmine falcone who's like mobster who well he was depicted in the nolan movies right he was it was uh rucker howard right Right. yeah so i like john turturro but that fucking movie doesn't seem to need any more people in it wow color me shocked dc making a mistake when it comes to one of their major Uh, franchises well i mean well speaking of mistakes (laughs) they're they're making another goddamn joker movie apparently oh yeah because like that movie needs to see yeah like having todd phillips create more origin stories i mean what a fucking mistake well, that was the the sub thing to this story. Like the really the upsetting thing about this was that DC also seems to have decided He's their guy. Yeah, he he should oversee a new More, slate of R rated yeah. DC films. And I'm like, that's great. I'm, are there that many Scorsese movies for him to fucking steal yeah. from? Like, <laughs> I I mean, yeah. I can't wait for his Gangs of New York ripoff starring like fucking Lobo or whatever. I don't know. Like who? Like <laughs> actually, you know what? Take that back. I would watch that movie. <laughs> I would watch that movie. I don't know. I just Gangs of like, New York in space. In space. <laughs> hey man, we're watching Lone Wolf and Cub in space right now, and we're all loving it. <laughs> yeah, so, fair. you know, yeah, that's yeah. We'll right. we'll get to talking about the Mandalorian at some point, but I'm starting to like a great fucking show, but it's not taking much in the way of risks. Like it's a real fucking safe show. It is a very safe show. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't want a fucking Joker sequel. That movie. I, I would have been perfectly happy and I would have expected that that movie would have sort of like just faded into obscurity had they just kind of left it alone. Like his, even like we were all talking about like, yeah, it didn't really leave much of an impression on us at the end. But then again, we're not like fucking whiny man babies incels. Fuck. I, I actually got in a fight with somebody online today about like, I saw it being like an incel fantasy. It is. Yeah. Paul, you follow love life of an Asian guy too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I do. So he is all up that fucking movie's ass for some reason, which Mm. throws up red flags for me real hard. Yeah. And I said, like, I really don't understand why you're up like the ass of this like white boy incel power fantasy. And then people were like, this movie wasn't about incels at all. And I was like, excuse me? Like, (laughs) like, this fucking guy can't get laid because he's creepy and weird. He makes up a fucking relationship with, you know, the woman that lives down the hall from him. And it's heavily implied that he fucking kills her. Like, 
Yeah, Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. People are reading into this movie what they want to read into it when it comes to like, and that I think is part of why the movie was bad. We talked about like the confused messaging of this movie where it's like, where they're trying to yeah. have the Joker be this like anti-hero, but the reason that he is the way he is is because he has fucking brain damage. Yeah. Like that's heavily, imp- like they talk like yeah. that whole thing about his like nervous tick and he has to hand the card over. Like it's just fucking. Yeah. So people are latching on just to the parts that they want to and ignoring the parts that, that don't fit in with their worldview and their, their mindset and their ideology. And, exactly. Uh, and it's the shitty writing of the movie that allows yeah. them to do that because they, like the movie doesn't take any stands whatsoever. Yeah. It takes mul- or it takes multiple stands yeah. in, that are like contradictory. And now we're going to get another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Yay, I can't wait for that like the sequel to make another billion dollars worldwide. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you right now, I this time I'm actually going to hold to my guns and not go see that movie. <laughs> yeah, so, uh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. In relation to sequels that I am a little bit more interested in, the fucking Kelvin versus apparently not dead. Oh, yeah, that was man. a good one this week. That's kind of a surprising story. Yeah, Star Trek Four is going to be made with Noah Hawley, who was the showrunner on FX's Legion and also on Fargo, is in talks to write and direct Star Trek Four. So with you know Chris Pine and uh, yeah, Quinto so and everybody back, Zachary yeah. Quinto and yeah, Carl Urban. I'm all hey man, as long as we get more Carl Urban McCoy, that's like. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's all I want from life at this point. Just give me as much Carl Urban as I can. Just give me more Carl Urban, you know what I mean? So I'm all on board here. Yeah. Like, if they're going to do, especially now that if they can go just be like left field, this is not the main, this doesn't have to be the main focus of the Star Trek franchise anymore. You know what I mean? They don't have to play safe anymore. They can be like, yeah, there's 500 of these fucking shows on now. Like, this is just the movie franchise. Let's go have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So. Awesome. Give me more weirdness, but more whiz- just as yeah. much whiz bang. Like just mix that up together, yeah. and it's good. You know. But that's what that old show was, right? It was just like it's sci-fi, like you know, cowboys and shit. Like let's go fucking bomb around and see weird crap. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Go give me a movie of that. They kind of they tried to do with the last one and fucked it up. So yeah. Like I have so little investment in that Kelvin verse at this point Ooh. that yeah, yeah, that go fucking do weird shit with that, and you know, leave the prime time alone (laughs) discovery (laughs) right yeah but i think that like the best star trek to me that i always remember from childhood is like those big kind of sci-fi puzzle episodes that are like super high concept but allow for like really good character development at the same time where it centers like i was talking about is it timescapes the one where the warp core breach and there's only like four active characters from the Enterprise side, where it's Data, Jordy, Troy, and Picard, and they are figuring out the solution to this weird fucking sci-fi time warp thing. And it's such a cool episode, and it sticks out in my mind because it's like, we get the high concept, but we get really just good character acting. And that, to me, is good Star Trek, always. And and I also think like Pale Moonlight from Deep Space Nine, where it's like, high political concept but still the same idea where it really focuses in on just a few characters so and then they could still do that in a movie format while still giving us the like kelvin verse action stuff that the general public is used to i guess and it could still be good that's what i want from the but i'm not that's not what i'm expecting but considering noah hawley made legion hey who knows what's gonna happen 
Yeah, I mean, fuck, you know, crazy time travel shit, crazy, like, psychological mindfuck mm-hmm. kind of shit. So that I'm intrigued. Yeah. Two things real quick. The Amazon Lord of the Rings series has already had a second season ordered to nobody's fucking surprise. Jeff Bezos is like, that's his his baby. I guess the, I guess, the, was it The Witcher that got a second season order? Yeah, already I think too? so. Hasn't, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, those are both, both shows are, like, the big high fantasy shows for next year, both getting rave reviews behind the scenes, so that's kind of cool. His Dark Materials also got renewed for a second season, and I've seen the first three episodes of it, and it's pretty good, so, like, it's not great, not yet, I think it's still getting traction. The beginning of the, the first book is a lot of, like, setup, so we'll see how it goes, but, yeah, there's a lot of very specifically different kinds of fantasy happening all at the same time, and I'm so happy <laughs> right now. We've got like yeah. our pretty good is, is not what I need to make me want to actually go see that show. Yeah. I need to be told like, this is the next Game of Thrones. Like everybody's going to be watching this. You need to be watching it. Fair. And it's not there yeah. yet. Yeah. So I can't, I can't recommend it on that basis. Like to be fair, it's like, there's a lot of potential there, but it's still ramping up. So maybe by the end of the season, I can recommend it, but yeah. not yet. I just really like hyping up The Witcher because I'm sure if Christy ever listens to the show again, it will annoy her that I'm talking about it. Because <laughs> I'm actually kind of curious about Me too. it. Did you see? Uh, it looks like Doctor Who season twelve is uh, getting ready to launch. Eh? Like there was a teaser. Yeah, so. yeah, New, New Year's. I think. Yeah. yeah, so that's exciting. Too. Yeah, that's kind of. And cool. Chris Chibnall has already yeah. said that he's staying on for season thirteen. Like he's already writing it. So. We've yeah. got a showrunner for at least another two years. Which is good, because yeah. I like was hoping that he'd stick around. Yeah. yeah, and that presumably means that you know 13th Doc is sticking around for longer as well. I like Jodie Whittaker. I'm I'm happy. A lot of yeah. people shit on season 11, or is it season 12? Season 12? Season no, 11, season 11 yeah. was the last one. Yeah. Season 11 was the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Season, I, I got halfway through it, and I need to go back to it. I was enjoying it, it's just I felt like too many extra people. Yeah, it was a lot of standalone stuff and not so much overarching, and so it was a little harder to get into. But yeah. um, I think I think that you know they did that on purpose, right? They wanted to give Jodie Whittaker like a chance to really show who she was playing as the Doctor, kind of thing, mm-hmm. rather than yeah. like immediately getting her involved in something super Myth epic, heavy. overarching kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that was my my hangup because I'm so used to modern Doctor Who, which is like so heavily serialized yeah we never really got a chance to know capaldi's doctor before they started throwing him into these big like yeah he has to solve the clara problem that's existed for five years already or whatever kind of thing and i was like uh you know yeah i don't really know that who this doctor is yet i like him so far but like whatever so i'm glad they've given her this to do i'm on board as doctor who i'm gonna watch it eventually yeah. mm-hmm. and i'm uh, watching all of it eventually and then the very last thing I had, because this is something we've talked about in the past, Runaways announced that their third season is going to be the final season. So I did watch the second season all the way through. It was pretty good. wasn't as good as the first one, but it was definitely different than a lot of the other stuff we were getting in terms of superhero TV. So I think it'll kind of leave a gap. But I mean, all that Hulu stuff is going away. Like, uh, well, the that Freeform series Cloak and Dagger, which was crossed yeah. over with Runaways. Yeah, so... It's, uh, yeah, I will eventually get to Runaway season three because I want to watch Liz Hurley chew the scene yeah. for a couple episodes. Like that sounds like it'll be fun. So I might go back and watch those two shows because like I watched Runaways and I watched part of season two when you were talking about mm-hmm. it, and I like it was fine. It just didn't like it clicked with me around the same level as the CW shows where I was just like I'm not making time for this right now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. meh, kind of thing. It's been a lot of teasers for that too. The uh, the crisis stuff is coming. Yeah, out, like right? two like couple December. weeks or something like that. I need to get caught up on those yeah. shows so that I'm caught up enough to, to watch. Yeah, 
why i'm just gonna watch the crossover like i always do the only other thing i see here before we move out of this like move out of the news is stadia has launched apparently it's just like super fucking mediocre (laughs) yeah just a sigh from everybody being like (laughs) so there's that um also did you not want to talk about your your little pokemon game that came out while you were not on the episode Uh, all right are we just gonna ignore the existence of that (laughs) because Well, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, it sold really well, and I'm happy for the people who enjoyed it. My stance on it is that, like, this could have been the next level Pokemon game, and it basically became an, uh, just another handheld version for 20 bucks more expensive. And, like, yeah. there, there, I can see, like, I've seen through Let's Plays that there's certain quality of life improvements where I'm like, hey, I'm glad they did that. But the way that the wild area looks is so empty and shitty. It's like, they gave us a taste of what it should have been. In, but they didn't put any effort into it and they just ended up selling six million copies in three days so good for them like a pokemon game was always going to be it's like fifa or call of duty or, um it's yeah, always going to sell well so i'm but i'm disappointed that they didn't take this opportunity to make that fucking leap to breath of the wild or mario odyssey levels of big like it could have been yeah. so much more than this, and ever, and that's basically the the defense. It's like, oh, you're expecting too much. It's just a Pokemon game. It's a ninety billion dollar franchise. It's the most lucrative franchise in the world. Yeah. Like taken alone. So I'm just kind of like, you guys got an average game, and you're really happy about it. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll just expect more from the next generation. Hopefully, they'll get their shit together for Gen Nine. We'll see. <laughs> Anyway, that's my rant about Pokemon, and uh, let's move let's move on to something else because I'm just gonna start getting angry. <laughs> Our next uh, segment is Geek of the Week. Geek of the Week. This is where we talk about the geekiest thing we did this week. So, uh, Mark, start us off. What is your Geek of the Week this week? So, my Geek of the Week. I know my being a closet wrestling fan brings much shame to both of you and to the podcast as a whole. But I had the latest AEW pay-per-view on while I was working this week, and I ended up getting nothing done while I was watching it. It was actually a really good show. So I sat and watched basically every match from beginning to end. Particular shout-outs, there's two main events, or like the kind of co-main events in it. So Chris Jericho is the champion in AEW right now, and we know we all know how much everybody loves Chris Jericho. And he's running around just like the smuggest old man calling himself Le Champion <laughs> and like being a big douchebag, and it's awesome. Uh, he had a match against Cody Rhodes, who was Stardust in WWE and is also the son mm. of Dusty Rhodes. So uh-huh. that guy, he the, he's the one who kind of runs AEW now. So they had a huge match, like blow up match for uh, their feud. And it was fucking awesome. And then so John Moxley, who was Dean Ambrose in WWE a couple years ago, has joined AEW and had a giant match with Kenny Omega, who I talked about ages ago, having had matches in New Japan Pro Wrestling with Jericho. They were doing like Alpha and Omega kind of stuff and so kenny omega is also in aew and he had a big fuck off ecw style 40 minute almost basically death match at the end of the pay-per-view where they had a they had a barbed wire spider web suplex spot that made my fucking skin crawl and i was like and they've got jr announcing for them so it's just like kind of attitude era wwe like it's a, a little bit smarter than that but it is still have like it's a little edgier than what you would get if you were watching vince's bullshit like the mcmahon crap that's going on now so yeah um, i watched a bunch of that i ended up watching both episodes of their like weekly program afterwards because i'm just sitting here drawing all day so i was like i'll just watch those two episodes man it's actually not bad like if you're into pro wrestling 
I would recommend AEW compared to anything else you're getting right now, especially if you kind of dropped off when you were like, you were an attitude era guy and dropped off. This is more in line with that kind of wrestling than what you usually get from WWE these days. Are you trying to sell me on wrestling, Mark? Cause I might, I might. No, no, but actually what I, I am, I am thinking about making you guys watch the next pay-per-view uh... kind of thing. Like I, I'm not, I think, it, I think it'll be in the new year or something like that. Maybe I'll get you guys to come over and watch the pay-per-view here or something. Oh, that'd be like, fun. We'll some beers. And then we could do an episode because it would be fun. Because like I had, like I was watching, I was like, "Holy shit, this is a good show!" Like they put on a good fucking two hour wrestling pay per view. Yeah, as and long like, as you don't mind me having like a million questions. No, that's fine. And that's the, like <laughs> they're really good about like they have Jr. there explaining to you what's going on the whole time too. Like they do a really good job of kind of because I didn't know anything. All the, when I, I all sat the kayfabe down. and drama. And... Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't know anything. Somebody was just like, "You should watch this show." Like, like it came up in like io nine or something like that, being like the, the AW pay per view was excellent. So I downloaded it and was going to watch it. And I'm a couple weeks late, but I sat down to watch it and was like, "Holy shit, the show's actually really good." How did that happen? <laughs> Paul, it's a bunch of like sweaty, good-looking dudes. You are so. Yeah. I know you. Right. I'll I'll check it out. <laughs> Go look up Kenny Omega in particular. He's a big otaku. Like all he does is like anime stuff. His finishing move is called the One Wing Angel. <laughs> That's that speaks <laughs> to me on a visceral level. I love it. Exactly. He came out at a Wrestle Kingdom in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling dressed as Sephiroth oh, for Alpha and Omega. Oh, he's a Sephiroth so. fanboy. I see. I yeah, see how it is. Yeah. If it sticks with me to the point where I keep watching it, I'll probably make you guys watch it down the line at some point. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, if you have any inkling towards pro wrestling whatsoever and you are curious, go check it out. It was a really good show. It was, it was called Full Gear. All right, Tim, what's your Geek of the Week? My Geek of the Week is fucking Rick and Morty is back, and I am all on fucking board with it. First two episodes of the season are out now, and it is just as creative and irreverent and hilarious as ever. And the fucking last episode had, like, Taika Waititi, Sam Neill, fucking Kathleen Turner, and Jeffrey Wright all fucking guesting on it like holy shit the fucking like you know you keep looking at like the older the older seasons and you're like geez they just get these amazing guest stars and they just keep fucking getting better and (laughs) more numerous as they go on from season to season it's not that they're just you know fucking shoehorning these people in it's like they're these people are legit coming in and being like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to do a Rick and Morty episode. Clearly, yeah. they're giving their all. Yeah, because I was going to see the performance that we got from, I think it was Jeffrey Wright yeah. on the second episode. This yeah, week. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, he's really like giving it in this like voice performance. What's oh, going yeah. on? Right. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> so I was very impressed. Like This season's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. so uh, far so good. I was for sure like at the beginning of this episode. That this was like going to be so by the numbers. Yeah, I was like, oh, this just I'm I'm already kind of losing hope here. When is it ever by the numbers though? I know <laughs> it, went, it went so left field on me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. good, okay. Like, they haven't they haven't lost again. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm I'm super on. Yeah, and that's sure. what we yeah. love. But is every you can't you can't fucking start an episode thinking you know where it's going to go. Like it, yeah. you, you, it'll set something up and then it'll be like, nope, fucking hard left turn into yeah. fucking nowheresville. <laughs> even just him, like, and this is spoilers if you haven't seen it yet, but like even him just leaving at the beginning to go do whatever he's going to do. Yeah. Like they play it off like it's just like a sight gag and he's going to be right back. Yeah. But it turns like he fucks off for the whole episode. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what? What the fuck's going on? <laughs> it was very, it was interesting. Yeah. Well, fucking Morty and Jerry have to <laughs> try oh, and man. try and stop the fucking app. And <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. oh man, that was that episode was great. Yeah, but was. Uh, summer, like hunting her, yeah, summer, her summer and all down. her soulmates. Like, yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> While her mom's chasing her on the fucking like on the hang glider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my favorite part was in the first episode of the season where it's like Rick is running away from 
fascist world number two or three. And he's like, when did this become the default? And <laughs> <laughs> I actually shouted that out on last week's yeah. episode. We were talking, uh, Stephen and I were talking about it or something. And like, I brought it up and that was exactly what I brought up. And I'm like, oh, the default line killed yeah. me. Like that was yeah. great. Well, that and Wa- Wasp Morty's been looking at some weird message boards. I was like, yeah, th- like ripping directly into their more questionable portions of the fan base. I appreciated yeah. that. That was good time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Real, real shocker from Dan Harmon. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. Fucking with his fan base. Yeah. 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 Biting the hand that feeds, basically. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Nice. All right. So my uh, my geek of the week this week was uh, Frozen 2. I went to see Frozen 2 on opening night because I kind of... Uh, I knew it. It w- was... <laughs> It was good. It was weird, weirdly good. Like it, it definitely was leaning a little harder into trying to sell soundtracks because there were a lot more big standalone songs that were kind of like very character focused. I feel like they're like trying to corner the karaoke market or something because there's well, a lot. That was also a common complaint with the first one was that it was only like half of a musical. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it like had like musical numbers up to about like the first 45 minutes and then there's just nothing for the remainder kind of thing. Yeah. So. And I have to say that the musical numbers were solid and some of them were quite hilarious. Like there's one in particular where Kristoff is doing like 80s power ballad style and then there are reindeer behind him in the shape of like the queen from god damn it paul fucking spoilers i really wanted to see this <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah you're real bad yeah. with the spoilers today too also you've just been spoiling shit all over the place all this shit we really care about yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure so like i have to say that it was weirdly affecting and like don't hate that this movie exists it was actually really well done Uh, and it was a fun story in and of itself like it went a lot deeper into the fantasy aspects of the world of frozen so arendelle and beyond they go out of arendelle for this particular adventure and it was pretty cool so and the animation is fucking beautiful like if you're just watching it for the animation like there's a lot of water animation that they created for this because like one of the fantasy elements and a lot around water and fire and god damn it looked good like if anything else it was just pretty to look at but it was a fun story and Kristen Bell gets her really good musical number at the beginning and at the end and fuck she's amazing as per usual <laughs> Adina Menzel of course kills it too but like yeah Frozen 2 yeah. surprisingly awesome in all fairness I, I, like in all fairness I have heard nothing but good things from like my Disney circle of friends and stuff like that it's just I I mean, the first one was fine. Care. I just, you know, I, I'm not going to fucking rush out to see this, but I don't really do that with yeah. any Disney animated movies anymore. So there you go. Like now that you've, you've shouted out the animation, I'm like, I'll wait till I can get it in 4K and then I'll watch it on my big panel downstairs yeah. so that I can look at the graphics and stuff. But like, I'm yeah, and I'll probably end up watching. Yeah, it. I'll probably end up downloading it or streaming it later. I mean, Disney, I got Disney Plus. now. Yeah, so. I think you'll yeah. appreciate like the fantasy creatures that they've created and how well animated they are. Yeah. Like, like each like particular creature has a particular like element that it's associated with and it's really really smooth and beautiful especially the water scenes fucking cool look at storyline like pretty standard fantasy adventure but really well done overall yeah so frozen 2 i'm yeah don't rush out to see it it's probably the theaters are gonna be packed with children for a long time so like yeah, this is like one of those ones where like I see Kristen Bell in a movie and I'm like, I don't need to go see this right away because first of all, the movie's going to do fine. It doesn't need me going out to see it to help her shit out. Yeah. You know what I mean, also, I can't look at her because CG model is just her voice. So it's just like, well, <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So with that being done, let's move on to our meat of the episode. Live action Disney meat. <laughs> 
Yeah. So since Disney Plus has been released in the last, was it a week ago, two weeks ago? It's not been that long. Uh, no, we, we, uh, week, week and a half. Yeah, it came out on the 12th and we're recording this on the 23rd. So yeah, week and a yeah. half. Yeah. I was going to say, like, this is, we're in our third episode of The Mandalorian, and that was the first day of it. Yeah. So we're, this is two weeks, basically. Yeah. So along with all of the really high-end, hyped-up shit that they've been putting out, such as The Mandalorian, which I'm sure we will review once the season is done. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I thought, like, hey, there's some weird shit in Disney's past that they decided not to bury completely in the Disney Plus vault. There was a time in Disney where live action movies were like the thing where we had that was their bread and butter. Yeah. Movies like The Parent Trap, the original Parent Trap, Haley Mills style, and the later remake with Lindsay Lohan. The Lohan. We had Return (laughs) of the Castaways, Freaky Friday, the original, not the Lindsay Lohan remake again, but (laughs) 101 Dalmatians. But in this time, there were also some like weirder genre picks that didn't fare that well in the box office, but became kind of cult classics on VHS back in the video rental yep. days. And on like Disney afternoon, like or like those Family Sunday Family. afternoon. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure. So we have decided to take a look at two of those cult classics, one being Flight of the Navigator and the other being Return to Oz. Now, with that being said, what is your background with these movies? Do you remember seeing them as kids? What do you remember about them? Like, what kind of nostalgia does this ping for you when you watch these movies? If at all, because you might not have seen one or the other. Uh, Let's start with Tim. How about you? I mean, both of these I remember very much from childhood. Flight of the Navigator seemed like it was on at least once a month, like I said, on like those like Sunday afternoon. Very vividly remember that opening where it was like flying over the parks and stuff like that. And then I can't remember what the actual name of that was called. Like it wasn't Disneyland at that point. But anyways, yeah. And and so it seemed like Flight of the Navigator was like one of those ones they would just fucking keep going back to. I don't think I saw it in the theaters, but yeah. So I mean, I probably watched it, I don't know, at least 15 or 20 times as a kid, maybe more than that. Because it was one of those ones if I saw it. I would definitely stop because there was fuck like fuck all else mm-hmm. on on a Sunday afternoon yeah. until Looney Tunes came on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that that one really resonated with me. Return to Oz. I remember it was similar. It was on TV a lot, not as often. I don't think we ever had either of these on tape, but it was also on a lot. But I only remember kind of certain portions of it because they still reoccur in my nightmares occasionally (laughs) um and so parts of them made like a real impression on me and parts of them like every time i watch it again i'm like i fucking do not remember this at all this is completely out of nowhere yeah so definitely remember both of these Uh, yeah for sure (laughs) mark how about you well you can tell this story these are movies you loved i i (laughs) i feel like both of these are movies you made me watch yeah like I've seen both these movies a lot. Let's so Flight of the Navigator because Return to Oz was my jam for like a long time. Like when I was growing up, I think when I was even four or five, I was a huge like I watched Wizard of Oz like a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, Um, and then I guess when I was old enough, we had a VHS copy, but not a real. We had a recorded VHS copy off of like the Family Channel. Yeah that i mm, we might have had a recorded version of these two yeah. movies now that you yeah. mentioned yeah i think we yeah. had both but i remember w- almost wearing out the return to oz vhs that we had because i watched it so often and i feel like our sister was very into it too like i feel like you guys put that on that movie yeah. on a lot yeah, yeah. so it was one See, of that's... those movies where like they would put it on and i would walk through and be like jesus this again yeah 
all right, cool, I'm out. Like the Super <laughs> NES is just over there, you know what I mean? Or yeah. whatever it was at that yeah. point. So see that's funny because yeah, my sister was also like fucking super in my sister and my mom was super into Wizard of Oz. So that's probably why I ended up seeing Return to Oz a lot as well as like Flight of the Navigator would be the one that I would stop on if I was flipping through the channels and it was on, whereas like Return to Oz is probably one of the ones my sister would latch on to. I guess Wizard of Oz was like both Paul and I's like frozen like kid movie. Like you know that you're that movie yeah. you're obsessed with and watch repeatedly. I guess Wizard of Oz was that for both of us. Yeah. So I don't know why that is, except for that we're both we like fucking weird horror shit because there's all that awful stuff when they go kill the witch yeah 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 that's what i remember that's the part of wizard of oz that i remember liking the most so yeah that that when they siege the castle the four of them against the the flying monkeys and all that yeah good good times man the the original wizard of Oz. actually what's funny because like this movie this movie made me want to go back and watch that and i went looking for it it's not online anywhere i had to go like rip it yeah well you know it's never going to be on disney plus because like for those of you who don't know disney really wants the rights to the original wizard of oz movie like it really wants them but mgm yeah. will will never let them go the reason for that is because disney is responsible for the extension of copyright more than any other company in the world yep the mickey mouse law. so basically yep. like they screwed themselves over with just this particular franchise because mgm keeps renewing the copyright on it disney style so that being said the the reason that disney was able to make the return to oz was because l frank baum's works are all in the public domain so they can as long as it doesn't veer too closely to the mgm wizard of oz movie movie version then they're allowed to do whatever they want basically there is a story about this though because like they had to go and license the ruby slippers for an exorbitant amount from mgm to use them in this movie that was the only thing i caught in my like my youtube research or like my reading around was it that that wasn't an element from the right books the ruby slippers were an alteration from something else the silver shoes there yeah they is, were yeah. the silver shoes originally okay. so mm-hmm. like yeah the ruby slippers just looked better on camera Clearly. but they became so iconic that they knew that they needed to include those yeah know, or it just yeah resonate and other like works have been able to skirt this copyright issue weirdly with like Wicked, for instance, like Gregory Maguire, um, his novel is like the origin story of the Wicked Witch of the West and has been able to like borrow things from both the movie and the books and kind of got away with it because it was a novel. And then when it got changed into a musical, like Disney was just kind of like, or I mean, MGM was just kind of like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Like it, it's renewing. Because you're not yeah, Disney. Because <laughs> you're not Disney and you're, not, and you're renewing interest in Oz in like a different way so it was cool yeah return to oz definitely feels like more of a sequel with the exception of the like ruby slippers seems like more of a sequel to the book of like the wizard of oz books rather than to the movie because especially the the one thing that really rings for me is like the character designs that they use for the scarecrow tin man and lion those are taken like directly from the illustrations in those like Mm -hmm. really early original versions of the books where like the lion is like a lion not a fucking dude in a lion costume and that sort of thing yeah yeah for sure yeah so let's save flight of the navigator for later since we're on <laughs> oz it was the first of the two anyway so we can do chron- chronological yeah so let's do return to oz so a little bit of background like this movie is set 
after The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy has returned and she is having some serious psychological issues as a result of her... It's like, man. So she gets back to Oz and she... We start off real dark in this fucking movie, folks. <laughs> she can't shut up about Oz and she's actually, like, can't sleep anymore because she keeps dreaming about it. She's, like, wide awake constantly. And Auntie Em and Uncle Henry are really worried about Dorothy to the point where they've decided to consider electroshock therapy for her. And <sighs> I guess the straw that breaks the camel's back is her bringing a key to Auntie M, which Aunt M thinks is a key to the old house, and Dorothy thinks it's from Oz, and so Auntie M is like, all right, we're bringing you to the quote-unquote doctor to fry your brain so you can stop <laughs> thinking about Oz. Yes, we have diverged strongly from the very cutesy, innocent Wizard of Oz, the original times. Like, the, the entire tone from the beginning of the movie has this weird coldness to it. And it just, yeah. it's set in like super gray, like post rain Kansas with the, the houses still being built after the tornado has destroyed it. And like, yeah, so this is where we're at. And so Dorothy goes to the mental hospital and is about to get electroshocked, but the power goes out and she runs away with a girl who is also a patient there. They run away from the hospital and end up going on a river and the girl disappears and Dorothy wakes up on the river, but in Oz. And then shit gets even worse from there because Oz is no longer the Oz that she remembers. Um, the Emerald City has been decimated. All of the people who were alive were turned to stone. The Yellow Brick Road is gone. Just remnants of yellow bricks here and there. And she encounters the Wheelers which is, has been my nightmare fuel. God damn. So let's talk a little bit about like the atmosphere and the character design and just like the tone of this fucking movie. Cause holy shit. Like even as an adult, it just creeps. It just gives me chills yeah. to think about like the, particularly the design of the wheelers is so fucking like monstrous that I can't even like, can't look at them directly. <laughs> See the wheelers isn't what fucks me up. Like to me, the wheelers are just kind of stupid. Like, if they catch you, what are they gonna do? Hit you with hit you with their wheels? Kind of like the it's kind of like we were talking about the Exorcist a couple of weeks ago, and we we're talking about the Spider Walk, and I'm like, what can she do from that position aside from lick your ankles? So basically, it's just these guys. That you, like honestly, when TikTok comes out and beats the fuck out of them, I'm like, yeah. If I walked over and like those dudes are doing this wheel thing, I'm just kicking these fuckers over, and I'm like, yeah, you're real threatening, dudes. Like I don't even have to get a weapon, and I can knock all of you over. Like, <laughs> this is your defense force, Mombi? Because you're fucking up. Like, yeah. either way. Yeah. yeah. However, I will fully admit, like, the tone is, yeah, dark as shit. Yeah. Like, especially compared to the original. Like, to, yeah. like, the original movie version of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You know, this, like, story of, like, beautiful, like, wonder and enchantment. And even, like, the scary parts of it are still pretty, like, beautiful and fantastical mm. and stuff like that. This just leans right into the start. We're leaning into, like, Hey, remember how we really treated mental illness terribly a yeah. hundred years ago? Even, not even yeah. that, but like, just like, remember how bleak fucking existence was at the turn of the century? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. seriously. Yeah. Remember the Dust Bowl? Yeah, like, hey, this is like, this is Red Dead Redemption too. Have fun, guys. Like, have fun yeah, hunting yeah. that fucking super, like, emaciated rabbit to feed your family of 12 with or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah great. This is exactly what I want to be in my fantasy story to start. Awesome. Yeah. And, and who the fuck just leaves their niece in an insane asylum? 
Like, right? it just goes home. Like, fuck. It's so weird. Like, the guy who plays the doctor is supposed to be, I guess, like, a dark reflection of the wizard character. Like, he's a huckster, but he's playing off as, like, an actual medical professional instead of, like, a fortune teller. And so yeah. he's, the like, the inciting action to lead them into Oz. And he has his villainous counterpart in the Gnome King later, whereas we found out that the wizard is just, like, a trickster. We find out yeah. that his psychological counterpart in Oz is like a fucking monster, like an actual <laughs> literal monster, as well as like, yeah. let's check out my fiery furnace bitches. And it does like, it sticks true to that formula of the wizard of Oz in that way. Like Dorothy manifests versions of people she encounters in real life into fantastical or monstrous versions of them. And yeah. whatever you want to believe this is, whether it's, you know, her dreams are an actual other land or world or whatever she's going to. Which they choose to keep ambiguous throughout the movie, which just yeah. adds to the bleakness of the whole thing. It like, does. Is this just a story about a girl with mental illness? Like, Jesus, yeah, that's the problem. Is that it cast this nasty pall over the entire franchise? Like, even when you watch the original, yeah. you're like, wait, is this all just yeah. a Like, is she just fucking crazy? And then you yeah. watch this movie, and you're like, oh, right. That incident, which was probably a traumatic brain injury, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. causes people to like lose their shit in real life too. Causes yeah. the poor girl to lose her shit. So she got hit in the head and is now insane. Now we've made a film franchise about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's entertaining. <laughs> Interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. Let's lean into the horror of all of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I guess, yeah, the wheelers are the equivalent of the orderlies from the hospital with the really squeaky wheel gurneys. Mm. And the next counterpart that we encounter is Princess Mombi, who is the counterpart of the really nasty nurse from the, who kind of tries to save their lives. So she's like, we don't see that she's evil until later when we find out that they're keeping the mistake patients who got their brains fried permanently in the basement of the hospital. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> again, children's movie. This is on Family Channel or exactly. whatever. Like, God. <laughs> hey, man, one of these days we're going to cover Batman Returns. And, like, I'm going to... Yeah try to get you guys to explain to me how that movie had a fucking happy meal because that was supposed <laughs> yeah, to be right. a kid's movie too and like yeah it yeah. is not and the hunchback of notre dame had a burger king tie-in but yeah you know it, it happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes people don't i don't think they see the movies before they start doing tie-in stuff Imagine yeah. Yeah. like this having it like a harvey's tie-in or something like that or a burger king tie-in oh. yeah um mommy with exchangeable heads <laughs> or whatever Princess Mombi is my fucking nightmare fuel from this movie. Like yeah. her room full of heads screaming at Dorothy while a headless yeah. body runs after her. Like how is yeah. that appropriate for a fucking kids movie? <laughs> I don't know. This is like, so Princess Mombi, yeah, is the equivalent of the nurse. And when we see her, she's like this beautiful lute playing princess who like gives off some really creepy vibes as she's walking into this really beautiful castle in the Emerald City. She says she's doped up. Like she's walking yeah. around like she's high on heroin or something. <laughs> yeah, like full on opium style. Yeah, like yeah. and her fucking like evil queen attire with like yeah. fucking spikes coming out of the shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. That was a lot. Us... I don't know, man. That was like it's the Star Trek, like the Klingon fan in me, but that awakened a kink, I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, bro, man. I hope I this know. doesn't awaken yeah. anything. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. kind of weird. Sorry, boys. <laughs> yeah. She first comes off as like already docile but threatening and then when she switches heads to another one of the dancers right in front of dorothy she says like i'm gonna stick you in the attic until you are ripe 
old yeah. enough to for me to decapitate you and steal your head <laughs> and locks her in the fucking attic uh, and then like goes off to do whatever and Dorothy uses some fucking like magical powers to bring some uh, fantasy creatures to life oh, who Jesus. also there's Jack Pumpkinhead and the Gump and Jack Pumpkinhead is I guess our kind of scarecrow equivalent but like I guess TikTok is more the brains of the operation by the way TikTok's character design fuck I love yeah TikTok's I do character love TikTok. design yeah it's, TikTok's actually my yeah. favorite thing in this movie yeah. like I'm like it's genius by design. far yeah. yeah and like I love the character like the character just works for me and so. solid fucking yeah. puppetry on that character too like that's a damn impressive yeah. puppet yeah to the point where yeah. like you're looking at it and thinking like i don't know how they did that like yeah. certain movements and stuff that they're doing with yeah them and that kind of thing even just like at first when he's walking i was like is there a person in there which there is yeah but it's yeah, like I'm a person that's like, doing like a fucking crab walk or something yeah they must have had yeah. like a gymnast or a fucking or some shit like that in their contortionist like that's able yeah. to move that thing around like that yeah and a jack pumpkin head is it Jack? Yeah, it's Jack. Yeah. He's definitely a person in a suit, but he's like gangly and well, uh, he can't move his limbs correctly. Yeah. Well, because it would be attached to your actual body, right? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Suit, so they look awful. Yeah. yeah. There's sometimes where he's clearly a dude in a suit, and there are other times where he's mostly a puppet kind of thing. So yeah. they must, they definitely yeah. had different versions of poor, poor man's Jack Skellington there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, probably where Tim Burton oh, yeah. had that idea. Absolutely. Actually. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 100%. Wait, did he work <laughs> on this? He was working. Was he working for Disney at the time? I was thinking about like who would have been working around at this time and like that would have been in the He Disney didn't start doing at that point. I, he didn't start doing Touchstone Pictures until Beetlejuice, right? So that would have been 3 years later. Yeah, but he was working in Disney Animation, right? Or like maybe. he was working at the studio doing like animated stuff. So I thought he No, I don't I don't think he had anything to do with uh But either way. Cause. But yes, there's definitely yeah. there's common threads between those for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely a movie he saw and influenced him cuz like you can actually kind of feel like now that I think about it I'm like yeah, this is definitely a movie he he saw yeah. coming up and was like, "Oh, I like yeah. this tone. I'm going for this tone cuz he uses this kind of feeling a mm. lot in his like those Alice movies, at least the first one that I saw had a lot of this to yeah. it. Yeah, the dark dream sequence yeah. where like there's like a basis in reality and then it gets contorted to the point. Mm-hmm. Like, man, the scene after she meets Jack is where they need to revive the gump and get out of there, but they need to get the powder of life. <laughs> the fucking gump. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about the gump in a second. But like, this is the <sighs> scene that Tim was talking about where she has to sneak down, first go to the headless mommy body and take the key off off of her wrist which to me was the scariest part of the entire process where like <laughs> the headless body like grunts and turns like what's where's that sound coming from <laughs> yeah, I, that was my yeah. question was like the logistics of her existence make no fucking sense to me so like first of all she sleeps with no head on which means like how's she breathing so like that's weird <laughs> second of all does her personality tracked across all those heads and memories there's implications that like only certain heads remember certain yeah. fucking memories and like yeah. that opens up a whole can yeah, of worms. It's fucked yeah. up, right? Like is it I don't <laughs> understand it. So I'm like I like I want to read the book so that maybe they explain to me the logistics of how her existence works. But again, except that she's not in the books. Um, oh. she, this is a a, comp- really? a composite character from a different character that they changed to make even more horrible. So they oh. like take they took a character from Ozma of Oz and the Wonderful World of Oz and kind of like Smooshing changed her it. into this. And like the Gnome King exists. Uh, what you have to remember is that the Oz books are very episodic. Like even the Wicked Witch of the West was only in one chapter. 
chapter of the original book. So like they do a lot of adaptation expansion, the villains of the Oz stories Mm -hmm. to kind of make them more fleshed out and I guess terrifying because yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. That whole scene where she has to first get the key, which terrified the shit out of me, then has to go to the original Mombi head, unlock her head, which is nurse's head yeah. from the uh, original world, knocks over that trinket, and then all of the heads start screaming in unison oh, as yeah. Dorothy is running away. Dorothy and, uh, Still haunts me to this day and is probably one of the most effective pieces of horror from my childhood that I still remember. And like... Agreed. Fucking... Yeah. Great scene. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But how was that appropriate for any child? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that is fucking damaging. Yeah. And it gets, <laughs> it does get a little bit worse, too, because then she revives the gump, which, okay, let's oh, talk God. about the gump, which is kind of like we threw this character in in the halfway point, and he's kind of annoying. And it's just kind of like, let's make jokes about this animal who has been hunted and is dead and he just keeps making jokes about how i wish i was dead again (laughs) and like and like they fucking like slapdash this thing together and are like talking about how it's gonna fall apart at any moment like i fully expected the gump when they bring it to life to just moan like cool me like he's he's like he's made of like couches and some fucking like palm fronds and a decapitated like fucking moose head or some shit like well it's a gump head yeah Yeah. any other movie and that thing just comes to life and immediately begs for sweet well just like basically (laughs) we were just talking about rick and morty and i'll picture this like how horrific is this scenario in rick and morty yeah exactly what do i do you get butter yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> don't develop an app with it yeah yeah, yeah. what do you do cherry <laughs> yeah oh, so god. yeah there's like yeah weird fucking like fantasy creations like jack and the gump both are like yeah scream kill me now yeah <laughs> but they escape from Mombi's lair in the nick of time on the Gump, which I don't know how the logistics of that works, but it's fine. Magic We're not the aerodynamics of that thing are so very wrong. Magic <laughs> yeah. Man. We were back in Magic Land because, like, the heads, first of all, the head thing, I was like, this has got to be Magic Land. Also, anybody being afraid of the wheelers means that this is yes. Magic Land. Because, like, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. No. Yeah. A stiff breeze fucks those guys up. You know what I mean? An incline fucks their lives up. They couldn't navigate the stairs properly. So you stand in the middle of the stairs and you just laugh at them. (laughs) As a grown-up, sure. But when you're watching that as a kid and (laughs) they're like rushing you in that hallway. No, I'm I'm reasonably sure when we were kids, I thought exactly the same thing. I'm like, you can't go up and down the stairs, guys. (laughs) Stairs are these scary things. You gotta go like, yeah, they gotta yeah. go sideways, yeah. and, and like the whole fucking land is all like all torn up. There's no fucking proper roads left. Yeah, they ripped so up the big road. Fuck. Why would they rip up the main road? <laughs> I, we need that to live. Like yeah. those guys can't get anywhere now. How did they even get across the desert wheeling? Oh, it makes no sense. Yeah. Magic land, Paul. This is all magic land. Yeah. So Although, to be fair, it, I was like it, the headless, the headless, like, like that whole thing, that whole bit with Mombi. I'm like. I have a Conan comic I want to do and steal that bit from now because <laughs> yeah, I think I can sure. make it more effective as like a villain against Conan than like Dorothy. Dorothy, Gale. yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. like th- the fact that Dorothy is so young and like not able to fight back against her, which makes it even more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, and that she's so young, but Jack still wants to call her mom. Yeah, that's creepy, Ooh. man. This whole fucking, <laughs> all of this shit 
there's all kinds of weird shit in this movie that I was like, no. yeah, there's, there's a lot. No. Of, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> there, the psychological implications get worse when Dorothy and company land on the Gnome King's mountain. So they get in there, and the Gnome King reveals that he is. Okay, it gets weird because he... It doesn't get weird. It falls the fuck apart is what happens yeah. at this point. Apparently, the original denizens of the Emerald City stole the emeralds from the Nolan King's Mountain. Stole as in, like, mind, like grabbed them and didn't realize that the mountain was a living fucking thing apparently <laughs> and so the magic of the emerald city was as a result of the gnome king stuff and so the gnome king just decided to take everything back in a coup What's as a result because he yeah he get, okay so you were just gonna say that i was gonna say yeah like, he did get the fucking slippers <laughs> yeah well the slippers fell from the sky when dorothy went back to kansas and he was the one who received them and he made a wish to return the emeralds back to emerald city and as a result the whole fucking world city. fell Part apparently, yeah. yeah, and much to his glee, because the Gnome King seems pretty happy that the citizens of Oz, particularly the Scarecrow, have been turned into living ornaments by him. So this begins the final act, big thing where the Gnome King is psychologically torturing Dorothy while her friends are getting turned into ornaments in this game where they have to guess which ornaments in a giant room are living things and they have three guesses and if they get them wrong they turn into ornaments too what the fuck i was like when you think about that scene in general and how like quiet and creepy it is but you realize what's actually happening in the background like all of her friends are turning into fucking lifeless things which we don't know if they still have consciousness or not they confirm that they don't know what was happening because like tiktok talks yeah because tiktok all oh, right all right all right what is just one existential terror that they take away from you you know what i mean <laughs> right you exist yeah. consciously inside of an inanimate object like yeah that would be yeah yeah, but if you notice, one thing that was really creepy to me was the sound cue of the thunder changing the people into ornaments is very similar to the sound cues they were using in the hospital with patients screaming in the basement while the thunder was going off and stuff. Like, they do not take it easy on us. They try to turn it into a kid's movie, but they're very clearly saying, hey, guys, something really fucking creepy is happening it's with interesting. Like, kind of the you other up, stuff. You bring up the sound because the director was actually, like, that was his thing. He won an Academy Award for sound editing. Like, that was what this yeah. guy was good for. Yeah. And also it, creating apparently fucking horrifically terrifying children. Yeah. That should not be shown to children. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. You should go look up like the background of this movie. Apparently it was quite the fraught production also on top of everything. Which else. is true for the original Wizard of Oz as well. True, yeah, um, true. yeah. The very fraught production. Ray Bolger had like terrible reactions to that Tin Man makeup and. Yeah, almost yeah. died and shit. And the abuse of Judy Garland throughout the entire production of the film, which mm. really dulled the shine of that film for me when they were they were giving her uppers and downers to keep her moving throughout, and they were like calling her fat and like fondling her and sexually assaulting her throughout the entire production. I don't want to talk about this because it makes me really sad. Oh, uh, I don't want to keep bringing this shit up every see, time. Yeah. That's Hollywood's golden years, Paul. <laughs> yeah right golden years yeah. golden years anyway that whole third act like really fucking falls apart for me like i totally lose interest it falls apart as soon as you like start watching well, I, so I, like I, I like lose interest when we're like 20 minutes of just like dorothy talking to the fucking gnome king and half the time it's a fucking stop motion model and half the time it's a dude in a terrible fucking suit yeah <laughs> yeah 
I'm back in when Dorothy herself goes into the room of ornaments. That's the point where I'm back on board a little bit. Yeah, that weirdness of not showing the action happening in the back. Like, I can see it from a stylistic point of view that they're trying to... Up the suspense. Like, or, do something. Yeah. yeah, but... I could see it from a budgetary yeah. standpoint, because at least this, like, yeah. this point, you just have dude in, like, shitty makeup and her having dialogue. Well, all your big special effects pieces are now off fucking camera <laughs> because yeah. I can only imagine managing all these fucking puppets and shit must have sucked because this is way pre-CG. Yeah. So. Uh, speaking yeah. of which, it was Brian Henson was uh, the main puppeteer in the voice of Jack, yeah. Jack Pumpkinhead. So, yeah, the final act, you're right. I think that there's this kind of a lull in the action until Dorothy goes into the ornament room and then Mombi shows up and the Gnome King, like, forces her to kneel down on the ground and it's really creepy and we get one of my favorite moments of the movie between dorothy and tiktok like dorothy and tiktok's relationship is kind of like the the heart yeah. of the film and he kind of tricks the gnome king even though it doesn't really work so tiktok works by by winding up he's a wind up a clockwork, uh, clockwork si yeah. simulacrum i guess yeah so he pretends that his action has wound down and he gets to have this moment with dorothy in the hall of ornaments and he's like find out what i change into and then you'll figure it out however it doesn't work and she just by dumb luck restores the scarecrow to life which they never really yeah they never explain in any way shape or form she just fucking intuits it or some shit yeah 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 she's just like okay well this looks like an emerald i guess like it's like it's a green ornament it and green. it looks like I an emerald was, yeah green was what probably yeah. seems to be the thing that, key, that keys her in and i'm like but she doesn't figure it out till after well yeah, yeah. Like, like wait a minute it was green <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah so by sheer dumb luck which is you know a common trope in like a lot of children's fantasy narrative <laughs> like she restores the scarecrow and then starts to restore other characters from the movie and then the gnome king does not like that and starts to freak the fuck out and all of the gnomes start crawling out of the fucking walls while the mountain starts crumbling and fucking hellfire is coming out of all of the places it's not the best animated sequence but there are like moments where it looks really cool and other parts where it does not look yeah it does not hold up at all but for 1985 i have to say that they did a pretty good job. Like they got their message across, right? So there's some damn impressive effects in this movie, especially for 1985. There's also some dog shit. Yeah. But there's some good stuff. Like the stop motion animation with the rocks for the most part is really good. And like what they do with the Gnome King when they're doing him stop yeah. motion is pretty good. And I'll say like on top of this, I just this is part of what the effects part of with the puppetry. I miss puppetry in kids' movies. Mm -hmm. Like at the risk of sounding all like back in my day like now they would just do that cgi mm -hmm. like yeah. there's very rarely would we get like a physical practical puppet i mean we're getting it on like mandalorian right now like star wars is starting to figure that out and be like one of the things that's charming about these movies is the practical effects and the fact that you can really feel a physical presence from these characters that are puppets yeah, for sure. And like, I think the revival of the Dark Crystal shows that too, where like, mm -hmm. it does make a tangible difference when you're watching it. I don't know if they ever will, or it's just like the mastery of the actor who can interact with the CGI. But like, some actors are good at doing the green screen stuff and others are not quite so good at it. But either way, the puppets really do make a difference in the way that they interact together. Yeah. Even in like the big action moments when they're like running away and there's a lot going on still still held up pretty well yeah so yeah the gnome king is defeated because he eats an egg 
so throughout the entire movie, there's this online joke where the Gnome King has outlawed chickens for some reason. And apparently eggs are poisonous to gnomes. And so as he's trying to eat Jack Pumpkinhead, Belina, Dorothy's animal sidekick for this movie instead of Toto. I'm familiar. Yeah. Decides to like get her character arc paid off and (laughs) and lay her first egg in a long time right into the mouth of the Gnome King and which kills the Gnome King and all of the gnomes simultaneously, which, okay. For some apparent fucking reason. No one's reason. a logical yeah. inertia, boys, because the, the Gnome King was keeping them alive. Like, it's just TV tropes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just yeah. Yeah. TV so, tropes. It's the Ice King. The Night King from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, too. Like, the, yeah. This is the thing that happens in fantasy. Yeah. And so... Ruby slippers get back on Dorothy's feet. She makes a wish and they all get sent back to the Emerald City, which has been restored. We find out that the girl that at the beginning of the movie that helped Dorothy who disappeared was actually Ozma, the rightful ruler of Oz and was trapped in a mirror by Mombi. Oh, it gets really convoluted. Read the books, guys. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No. Good. I'm good. And they restored TikTok, who had been missing, and Dorothy gets sent back to Kansas, where she still has visions of Oz. Deep seated psychological issues to deal with, but learns to hide them a lot better thanks to Princess Ozma. And so she can live with her delusions, possibly, and we all live happily ever after the end. Holy shit. God damn. Yeah. So I guess this is a happy ending, but this is like the happiest ending that could have possibly happened for this film. I don't know who greenlit this concept, but like, (laughs) I'm still happy that this movie exists. Like I watch it all the time. Like I said, I watch it pretty much annually because I love the production design when it's good is so fucking good. Like the art direction is amazing. Like lifting the character designs directly from the books and pulling them off so well was a real feat. And the music is incredible. Like it's very dark, very atmospheric. Yeah. And I just love the way this movie feels, even if a lot of the acting is kind of wooden. And well, it was Feruza Balk's first fucking movie ever, yes. Yes. for starters. And she's acting across from like a bunch of latex, also. You know, what yeah. I mean? like, she's not actually <laughs> yeah. acting with anybody. She's standing there talking to a fucking doll. Because even yeah. the although chickens yeah. feel like the chicken was a puppet too. Yeah. So like, and damn realistic puppet to the f- like creepy. to the point where I was thinking like that they had like maybe just hollowed out a real chicken. Yeah, I was starting to wonder like, how turned it into that. a puppet. Because I was like, is that, <laughs> I, that feels like, um, taxidermy. That's it. Taxidermy. Thank you. Yeah. Like that felt like taxidermy to me. And I was like, mm, that's uncomfortable, you know, but I did, yeah. there's some behind the scenes stuff like on YouTube, you can watch like a dude with his hand up, a basically it looks like he's got a hand up a chicken ass and he's, like <laughs> doing the puppet motion for it. And I'm like, that looks uncomfortable and that thing looks so real that like I don't like where his hand is. Like this whole thing yeah. is not good. So when you frame the rest of Feruza Box career and looking at it from the frame of reference of this being her first movie, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. Like right. all the other fucked up shit she would end up doing later on. Like, of course that's where she ended up. And yeah. Like, and then fucking the water boy and all that shit. And and almost oh, yeah. famous where she played yeah. uh drugged up roadie. Or groupie. groupie. Groupie is the word I was looking for, not yeah. roadie, because yeah, she doesn't right. set up to the sound or anything. <laughs> yeah. So Feruza Bulk, like in terms of child actor, she's pretty much on par for an 80s 
yeah, style actor. I'm not mad at it. And, you know, I do have a lot of love for Farouk Zabalk because of the craft more than anything. Love that movie. Oh, man, she's so good and almost famous. That's, like, my favorite. Like, when I realized yeah. that was her, I was like, oh, that's awesome that she's in this because... Um, yeah. I'm glad she has a career that wasn't driven completely insane by that terrible ass movie that my brother made yeah. 400 times. Wait, is that what we're talking about right now? And that then, is- yeah. oh, and, and then she ended up as white supremacist in fucking American History X. Oh, oh that's yeah. right too. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Jesus. Quite the career. Quite the career. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the interesting group of roles. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a lot of the live actors who do some of the characters, like Gene Marsh, who plays Mombi, and Piper Laurie as Auntie M like hey piper laurie how's it going they did a pretty good job like the, i think the adults really knew what they were doing and particularly gene marsh's mombi was fucking awesome and as the nurse like yeah. there was continuity between the heads of the various people who were playing her but that last one where she's like arguing with the gnome king at the end of the movie yeah she felt pretty threatening i liked it it was i think that most of the acting was pretty solid in this film but like it was just serviceable i would say yeah it it got the point across it was a children's movie so it wasn't i wasn't expecting academy award level acting but like overall i think that this is like a really stylish film it is it's highly stylized and the one thing i will say is you know we've made a lot of fun about like how fucked up the storyline is and the writing is it probably makes about as much sense as the original wizard of oz story does yeah but the thing is the wizard of oz is so deeply embedded in like pop culture and zeitgeist that we don't really question it as much whereas like we look at this and we're like what the fuck is going on here yeah yeah, absolutely. Like the Oz books are definitely not as dark as this. Like there's like some WTF moments because just because of the the nature of the time it was written, like coming off of like Grimm's fairy tales, there some of some body horror and weirdness just kind of infiltrates children's literature the same way it does kind of like lullabies or something like that where there's just weird violent imagery among all the cutesiness but so they decided to take the violent imagery and ramp it up to 11 for this movie so but overall i think there's a reason why this became a cult classic like there's something about the atmosphere and the way that it is designed that is very appealing even if it is fucked up and creepy i think the reason this became a cult classic is drugs basically <laughs> yeah it was a lot more fun uh when i got high and watched this <laughs> up a little bit. so i mean there's that absolutely but i think that this is a weird outlier for films in the 80s because they're usually a lot more optimistic and adventurous even movies that have a dark tone to them like something like labyrinth ends with a pretty positive outlook on life in general whereas this one yeah maybe kind of (laughs) like keep your fantasies a secret children and you won't get lobotomized by the fucking (laughs) evil doctors in the asylum like fuck man like even if you take that at face value the ending of the movie is barely a happy ending like barely like oz gets restored but what even is oz is it in her head at least Uncle Henry gets out of his deep depression and starts fucking building the house. <laughs> yeah. La- lazy fuck. Lazy fuck, yeah. <laughs> his leg is mended. He's fine. Like, yeah. you can feel the seething resentment from Auntie M through the entire beginning of the movie towards her husband. <laughs> and you're like, okay, no, this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> Whereas comical Uncle Henry from the original Wizard of Oz that like bops 
Mrs. Gulp on her ass with the fence door, like the gate. Yeah. And it's just like kind of happy-go-lucky and just kind of cutesy old man. G- gone. Gone. Yeah. Fucking gone. Does not exist. Yeah, now we've got this dour fucking dude that's willing to send his fucking niece off to the insane asylum to, yeah. Reluctantly, be electroshocked it, into- <laughs> it was Auntie M who really wanted her to go there because she's the one who had to deal with all the child rearing. So she needed, yeah. she needed some ugh, dude. <laughs> so, somebody just needed to get her one of those like, like oldie times, like vibrators that like are supposed to be like are marketed as like a massager or something like that. Yeah, man. Or like the, those doctor's appointments. There was that movie with Kira Knightley yeah. about like the heart <laughs> vibrator and whatnot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Doctor's appointments where it was really just the doctor would bang you to like fucking release your stress. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and on that note, let's, uh, let's get this, <laughs> let's give this fucking thing a rating and then we can move on to the, the actual fun movie. Cause like, goddamn, Mark, final thoughts on the return to Oz. I don't have a ton to say about return to Oz. This fucked up movie. My brother made me watch 500 <laughs> times when I was a kid. <laughs> and like, here's what I'll say. If you are subscribing to Disney plus and you do have a marijuana habit imbibe and then watch this movie, cause it will trip you out. It's fucked up. Other than that, yeah, it's like I don't know. I don't know how to give this a review because, like, I like it, but like, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it, it like you want to recommend it based on the style of it, but you don't want to recommend it based on its like storyline merits because it is just like dour and sad. But if you like sad movies, I like <laughs> sad movies. I don't know. I guess I get like I like grim, weird horror kind of stuff, and like, but this it's so like in between a family movie and like a grim like retelling of this that it's like it's not really good as either so i'm like it's a hard movie to recommend unless you have some kind of weird nostalgia for it i mm. guess is what i'm trying to get at that's fair like for me personally it's like a six or seven out of ten like it's not something i love or like go crazy about but it's not a bad movie it's just you know a movie my little brother really likes it's <laughs> like fair. a lot that's like fair. a lot mm-hmm. so all right tim how about you final thoughts i mean when it's good and like sort of hitting all its marks, it's pretty good, but there's a lot of times where it's not. So it's really uneven for me. Like I said earlier, like there are parts that definitely stick in my mind that there are parts that like, I just forget like fucking two days after watching it. So for that reason, I guess like I do have some fond memories for it. So I'd probably do like a seven out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And for me, upon rewatching it, I noticed a lot of effects weirdness. Like the, a lot of the practical effects, costuming and the puppetry especially were really good. But when it came to certain things, like when she first arrives in the deadly desert and she's looking out on Oz and it's clearly like a painted backdrop yeah. uh, or a green screen superimposed, it looked real bad. I mean, like some of the compositing was bad, but like some of the fucking painting, like the matte painting was yeah. Yeah. great. Like there was some really nice production design that yeah. was in this movie. So like, I mean, I guess if you're like a nerd for that kind of stuff, especially old school, like matte painted, physical props like that kind of stuff it is a really well-made movie yeah. in that regard and that's one of those like that's the hallmark of this era of disney whereas like even if it is kind of a cheap movie and like the movie may kind of fall apart under direction or writing or whatever usually the guys who are working the art department at disney are fucking guys who work at the art department yeah. at disney they're the best yeah. in the fucking world you know what i mean so even, even with the shit script they're gonna yeah. execute it well yeah so even if they're like hey we're gonna make this dog shit wizard of oz sequel and we're gonna give you 30 20 maybe probably like 15 million dollars to make this in 1985 yeah. they're like yeah. all right we'll figure something out you know what yeah. i mean like 
that's how Ghostbusters got made. It's the same yeah. kind of idea. It's that old school, like, bunch of dudes in an art studio. Like, fucking figure it out with latex yeah. and paint, boys. Go to town. Have fun. Here's your deadline. And rewatching this as an adult, I definitely see the flaws more than I did when I was a kid. But I also saw the merits a little bit more. And so what I came back with was that this is a movie where I love the ideas and the concepts that they brought. And it just fell apart in execution. So I would give this like a 7, 7.5 for maybe 7.5 for like overall effect. But if I had to just single out the music, the costuming, and some of the set design, like 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. But that doesn't make a movie. So, yeah, overall. Yeah. Wait, what did you just say? That, that all that stuff doesn't make a movie? Can you write that and send it in a memo to George Lucas <laughs> or Todd <laughs> <Tony> <laughs> in 1999? Just... We could avoid a whole bunch of shit that goes on for like decades. <laughs> yeah, if seriously. If you're an adult watching this movie, like you can take things away from it. And it might inspire you for your own dark remake of something else like Tim Burton style. But anyway, let's go to the other end of like the tone spectrum completely almost, which is our second film in our rewatch, which is Flight of the Navigator, which is sci-fi optimism if I ever saw it. This is a sci-fi film that came out the year after Return to Oz. And it's about a child who being pestered by his little brother, which this movie is so prejudiced against little brothers. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it is. It, it is. To be fair, mo- most younger siblings are total bastards. Yeah, we are assholes. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are super pains in the ass and yeah. they're constantly like just all over your shit. That was a scenario yeah. that I related to a lot. Actually. So he's getting antagonized by his little brother and being told to be the mature one. And he goes off to find his little brother uh, to fetch him for dinner and encounters an alien spacecraft and gets brought eight years into the future where his little brother has become his big brother, basically. And he... Yeah. He goes under surveillance or under treatment from a government agency, Area 51 style. Not, it's NASA. It's uh, NASA. Okay. NASA. Yeah, they it's straight up NASA. NASA. Yeah. Everybody's it's got that NASA. fucking na- classic yeah. NASA branding. Yeah, that's true. Because like the big point that we I made during this movie, like it feels like an yeah. X-Files episode. And this is pre-X-Files where like every, all these government agencies would be like nefarious. You would yeah. picture them as nefarious. In the 80s, you'd be yeah. like, NASA's cool. NASA does sciencey stuff. Whereas like, our, my brain is like, wait, there's government agents? Oh, shit. Yeah, they're all pure evil, whereas they're only kind of evil here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they, I guess they keep him under observation, and they start realizing that he's got all these alien messages in his brain, and they want to keep him longer, and he doesn't like that so much. So he goes and tries to escape and ends up escaping on an the alien spacecraft that he found when he was a child, and... Yeah. Well, he's no, he's still a child. He's still a child. He's just eight years yeah. from where he was temporarily. And then uh, also, we need to you need to point out that he, the the ship was oh, calling out to true. him psychologically somehow, like it was talking yeah. to his brain and like. Yes, it was. And know. can we point out that it is in hindsight not super appropriate that the ship that Max, voiced by Paul Rubens, is is getting is yeah. getting also, in David's head and asks, "Are you coming?" Yeah. And David then replies. David, this like 12 year old kid, then replies, Yes, I'm coming. Yeah. That comes across yeah. as inappropriate at best, given Paul Rubin's penchant for exposing himself in public. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, Jesus Christ. Yeah, we've, we've got a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so, there's that. There's that. 
So he escapes on the spaceship and thus begins the rest of the movie, which is basically like a chase sequence where Max and David and Max start to have a buddy comedy vibe together, which works really well for the first two thirds of the movie. And then he scans his brain and it all goes to shit because we get full Pee Wee Herman voice after that. (laughs) It results in David wanting to go back to his family more than anything, but realizing that he needs to go back to his family at the appropriate time because being eight years removed has just fucked things up too much. And he takes a risk on traveling through time and it ends up succeeding. So yeah. What do you guys think of this one overall? Like first, first initial impressions, Tim, let's go, go to you. I know you are, you're a big fan of this one. So <laughs> yeah, I said, I watched this one a ton when I was a kid. First off, because we are sort of uh, framing this in the context of Disney plus the transfer on Disney plus on this movie was pretty fucking terrible. But I will say, like, yeah. right off the bat, I got a massive rush of nostalgia because it starts with that, like, familiar 80s logo with, like, that version of When You Wish Upon a Star that would play along with it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of nostalgia for this movie. This one, I think, holds up a lot better than Return to Oz does overall, at least in mm. my in my view. Mm. <laughs> no, no. As the impartial observer, I'm going to go with no on both of these movies, boys. Your nostalgia goggles are... You need to wipe those fuckers off, boys. I think it's decently written. I'm pretty... I mean, for a kid's movie anyways. Also yeah. has like some yeah. great production value, some like great effects and puppetry and shit like that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm on board for this movie. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from in terms of the writing because it is a lot snappier and very action plot oriented. Like it, it moves really well, I find. Yeah. Like this film like really kept, the the action ramped up pretty well so that i was never bored irritated maybe but never bored <laughs> and and it had a lot yeah. more of uh what's the word i'm looking for a logic compared to Richard yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well if you think of dream logic as a form of logic then which one was the more logical i mean come on <laughs> so, okay but yeah <laughs> My initial impressions were that, like, I don't remember this as well, because I don't think I watched it as much as Return to Oz, but I think it held up okay overall, first impressions. But, like, there there are things that I want to point out that were kind of like, <laughs> oof, woof. How about you, Mark? What were your initial impressions? I have probably more nostalgia for this movie than I did for the other one, but, like, neither of them are good movies, basically. Like, I mean, as an adult viewer in 2019, like, I'm 38 years old watching these things again. I'm like, no, I don't want to sit through this. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something I want to sit through voluntarily. You're Uh, welcome. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Thank you, boys. In terms of my interest, in terms of, like, doing this kind of thing, where we're sitting here looking at them, looking back at them, it was interesting, because I know I said this already, but, like, it feels like an Epcos Files episode. It almost feels like the prototype for that kind of story storytelling which i was like that's interesting to me at least and this movie may be part of the reason why i'm obsessed with ufos and shit because like i was a kid and i saw this and i'd like the alien thing tweaked me and this may be that first time oh, i really thought did about paul this. rubens so, tweak you this did, movie... uh, do we need to you're really pushing my fucking buttons tonight you know that kid like i just <laughs> But like, yeah, I was like, I had a good time with it in terms of like, once I switched off and was just like, all right, let's just watch this like Mm -hmm. a kid's movie and like stop picking at it. I was like, it is, it's entertaining enough, I guess. But yeah, the Paul Rubens casting is the one thing where I'm like, you know what really got me actually wasn't Paul Rubens, Sarah Jessica Parker. I was like, just 
random Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, shows this is like teenage cute Sarah Jessica Parker. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say when she was actually yeah. somewhat cute. Uh, yeah, you guys are hating on SJP. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, it's fair though. Like, hey, I had to watch every <laughs> episode of <laughs> City, and like never again. Right. So yeah, I wanted to point out the Sarah Jessica Parker thing because it's there is this weird thing in 80s movies i feel like i've seen this before where there's the younger boy and the older girl and like i think i saw this in yeah. goonies too with the like where um the younger brother accidentally yeah, kisses yeah, yeah. andy in that movie and yeah what is it it's a super common trope like it happens a lot i was i was listening to a podcast about garbage pail yeah. kids of all things and they were like that plot points in there too like it's just something that comes up and i think it's just like it's power fantasy yeah. shit. You're right? real I mean, cute. Like if that, you that were like a couple is. years yeah. older, we would totally be smooching and yeah. dating. And I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah. fuck, I don't like this. I'd <laughs> fuck the shit out of you, <laughs> yeah. 12 year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's what gets me. And I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like, why did nobody else find this off putting at that point? Where she's like, <laughs> she's got to be what, at least like 18, 19, 20. Yeah. And she's okay. like, like giving the gears to this fucking. I'm like, she's talking shit. Hey, I'll be honest. I'm pretty sure I had a, a crush on her in this movie. You know, when I when I used fair. to watch it as a kid. I mean, I, I yeah, fair. But it's definitely like when you think of it's not realistic. When, and you think it's a, a grown <laughs> ass man writing this particular trope, probably multiple. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yeah, a, that's yeah, a, yeah. So <laughs> that that happens when he because she's kind of his caretaker in the when he's under observation at NASA. Yeah, but isn't she just like the male girl? Like she's an intern or some shit, right? Like she just kind of takes him under his wing. Anyway, uh, well, it's like her dad is works there, kind of thing. Oh, so okay. she, you know, she just yeah. He, he's like a military man because she talks about like being a army brat oh, yeah. right and like getting moved around from place to place when she was a kid yeah. so fair i don't like we shouldn't spend too much time on sarah jessica parker i just thought it was interesting like <laughs> also like because nancy cartwright's in this movie too i was like oh look you're not screaming and getting blood splattered all over you this must be a much more yeah. alien kind of yeah. movie for you to do <laughs> yeah, exactly lambert <laughs> i wonder if her agent called her and was like hey i got a sci-fi script for you she was like fuck you never fucking yeah. doing that again Fuck that. <laughs> for, Fuck that. For me, like the, the shocking casting that I didn't remember was the casting was his mom, who I had just seen puking up cherry pits in The Witches of Eastwick and was also in Alien, was the navigator in Alien. That's yeah. That's, yeah, that's, 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 that's Nancy Cartwright. Yeah, that's who Veronica was talking Cartwright. about. No, yeah, Veronica Cartwright. Veronica Cartwright, yeah. right. Nancy Cartwright's Bart Simpsons. It's yeah, Bart, Bart, yeah, Bart yeah. Simpsons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Veronica Carter. Right. Yeah, because uh, she was. I had. I watched the Witches of Eastwick a few weeks prior, and like she actually got a Saturn nomination for that movie. Anyway, yeah, I just saw her puking up a whole bunch of cherry pits. So I'm like, oh wow, this is a much better. That's right. I yeah, about that movie. It's a good yeah. movie. And then the fucking lead NASA scientist is uh, Dr. Johnny Fever from. WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, I was. That was my other one. Because you know, I thought the dad was at first. It's too timeline removed. But at first, I was like, "That's the stepfather or foster father from Terminator 2 Because they look identical. When they get stabbed in the face by the T one thousand while he's yapping at her while she's it's on the phone and everything. And I was like, "Is that him?" It's not. He's been in a bunch of other stuff though. So like, they actually had a decent little cast of people. He was a bad. He was the alcoholic father in the craft though. Weird connection. Yeah, he actually acted yeah. uh, opposite Faruza Bulk in that the trailer park scene where he like gets drunk and like calls her like slutty or whatever. Or I don't know, whatever. It's been a long time since I've seen the craft too. <laughs> but there you go. I was surprised by like the quality of the cast when I went back to this. So I was like, oh, like there's nobody like no big names. I mean, I guess unless you consider Sarah Jessica Parker a big name now. 
but like nothing crazy. But they were all like established name yeah. actors and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. they're all really good in it too. Yeah, for sure. Like I think that the the acting is very eighties. Like it's very yeah. It's oh, the yeah. same kind of like stilted stiffness of eighties movies, especially like cheap Disney yeah. like going to be shown on like the family channel in the afternoon like not really shooting for that big theatrical yeah release, you know what i mean like, yeah we could fold yeah. this in boys. where the line yeah. deliveries kind of almost sound like they're overdubbed but they're not really overdubbed but it's, it, it has that level of stiffness to them that you're just like oh it, it feels like you're not even talking to each other only in some scenes only in some scenes in other scenes it's like sure just yeah Parker, basically she, she <laughs> does a pretty good job and the nasa guy is fine yeah but it, the movie really starts to kick off once he enters the spaceship and becomes the navigator. I think my favorite part of the movie is before Max scans David's brain, their interactions together are really fun. Like, I like Max pre-brain scan a lot as a character mm-hmm. and the way that they have to communicate with each other in a very stilted but fun way. That's my favorite part of this film. Like, I guess the middle third of it. Yeah. Where they're getting to know each other, they're figuring each other out, and but they're also trying to escape from the government agents. I thought that it was like a overall good dynamic. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I'm pretty happy with the writing overall in this. And I mean, I'm a fucking big Pee Wee Herman fan. I've got like all the DVDs of the old Pee Wee Herman show, Pee Wee's Playhouse. And so like, I'm good with, you know, when we go, like you said, full Pee Wee towards the end. I couldn't handle it. (laughs) It was so, like, it, it just was like, we were already doing a pretty good job with like the cutesiness aspect. Like the '80s level was fine. Like the, the I was at a, <laughs> a safe level of '80s, and then it went full Pee Wee Herman, and then it was like toxic '80s levels <laughs> where I was just. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat as Paul because, like, at first I was like, he starts to have lines, and I'm like, oh, that's right, Paul Rubens is in this, and that's Paul Rubens's voice. I remembered that he goes crazy at some point, but that the middle third that Paul's talking about, I was like, oh yeah, he's really nice and understated. And like, that was the part of the movie that I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. Like this kind of works. Like it tracks properly and stuff. And then he brain scans them and everything just goes to complete dog shit at that point. Like everything gets He even nuts. does the, the, um, the traditional Pee Wee Herman laugh while he's streaming yeah, through the sky. Like multiple like, times. Just, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, we didn't have to we didn't have to go here. We didn't have to do this. I guess that was the appeal <laughs> of having Paul Rubens there because Pee Wee's Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, like if you're gonna have him do it, like do that shtick, right? Like I guess that's why he's there. But it's still like once you're this far removed from it and like he's jerked off in a movie theater, <laughs> um, I'm like, I don't need the full Pee Wee Herman shtick at this point. I don't have like again, this is like nostalgia that I don't yeah. have. So. This actually predates Pee Wee's Playhouse though. But it was oh, well, yeah. It? So Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the the Tim Burton movie, came out in '85, uh, and then this oh, okay. this comes out '86, and then Pee Wee's Playhouse also starts in '86. Uh, okay, okay. But I mean, Pee Wee Herman the character had been around for like five years at that point because there was the Pee Wee Herman show, which was more of a I think more adult, Talk show, was it not? like a uh, yeah, it was HBO. So it was, yeah, oh that's yeah, right, more yeah, yeah. adult, like not quite as like geared towards kids as Pee Wee's Playhouse was. So I mean. They were definitely still trading on that character, but it was not necessarily like on the 
Pee-wee's Playhouse, like really when that character blew up, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. it's still like at this yeah. point, like where we're at now. I'm like, why is still yeah. Pee-wee Herman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just it's weird to me, like as a stylistic choice, because like we're they had to sell some pretty heavy dramatic stuff where a child decides to take a chance on being vaporized from existence to get back to his original family and his original timeline, and we've got <laughs> fucking. <laughs> full, full peewee happening in the background i know you yeah. are but what am i yeah exactly <laughs> not that i was expecting a lot but like they almost it was kind of like oh they almost had it kind of thing where it could have been next level good and it just ended up being like well this is an 80s film it's an it's 80s fine. film <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Disney movie where they or where they stunt cast Pee Wee Herman. And yeah, yeah. See, get. the thing is, though, for being like you know a Disney movie, you know, kids kind of movie, the part that I'm sort of impressed with is that from the writing point of view, is it's kind of got like that memento feel to it. Like you learn things sort of as David is because he's lost his memory. So like you're kind of in the dark on things and trying to you know sort of piece yeah. things together as he does. And I like that sort of. You know, where they don't give you everything up front and you're kind of also in the dark as you go along through the movie. Yeah. And they don't linger yeah. too long on is this him, the identity thing, where like I like that about it where the parents immediately recognize him as him and they don't go like they could have gone like full on, is he an imposter thing yeah. happening? But they were like, No, this is definitely our son. He it's identical to him. And that moment where he goes to his old house and the that old couple's there and he's like acting like an actual kid would act in that moment where he's just like disoriented and sad and confused and like freaking out. I was like, Oh yeah, wow, that's actually like, yeah, definitely reads his true feeling. So like, there's a lot of like good writing in here and then it just kind of goes off the rails in moments. Like it's <laughs> just in certain aspects, yeah. but mostly with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it also like, you know, talking about the time travel aspect of it as well. Like, it's a decently accurate take on faster than light travel for a fucking kids movie too. And that, yeah, like, yeah, this is what, I guess this is right around the time too, when Stephen Hawking's like what on space and time or whatever, that, that big book that blew up of his mm-hmm. came out yeah. where like, it talked a lot about like how everyone would age faster than you do relatively. And like, if you, you know, did travel for light speed, even for like a few hours or days or something like that years would pass relatively speaking for people that are not moving at those speeds so mm-hmm. i'm always happy yeah. when sci-fi movies take the time to do that sort of shit properly rather than just like fucking hand waving yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and they don't harp on it too much either it's like this is like a legitimate reason why this could have happened and we're just gonna keep on going with the plot anyway but with, there is a reasonable yeah. explanation yeah i, I see yeah exactly yeah, if you're sure. if you're somebody that knows their shit and you know would be bothered if it was inaccurate they take the time to actually make sure that it's proper mostly makes sense kind of thing yeah yeah, well, it's like it, it tracks with the science at the yeah. time and stuff like that, which is still basically science of now kind of thing. Like that's why I, it struck me like an X Files episode. Like they had done the research a little bit into like how like relativistic speeds work and all that kind of stuff. Where like if you're real world dealing with like an alien abduction scenario, you have to kind of think like, yeah, why would he have been time warped like that? Oh, because they were traveling like yeah. approaching light speed as they traveled, and that causes time dilation. Somebody actually had to put the thought into that when they were writing the script. And I yeah. appreciate that they did that. So that was kind of cool. I just, yeah. you know, Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
there's little comedy beats that work like that dude like the big heavy dude who's like at the gas station <laughs> yeah like this, the fumbly the fumbly yeah. Dip big shit al that. yeah big al and they're all just like he's just staring at the thing and that's all he does that does he even no, have a line I, in the movie i don't yeah think he, does. he does he because when they fly off he says to the the dad he just said he wanted a phone <laughs> oh yeah the et the et, line. The, the yeah. ET reference yeah, <laughs> but he he's got like that's a great little bit where the guys just yeah. like the dude the dad fucking doesn't even realize what's going on and just he's yammering at this dude yeah being like, the worst yeah. tourist family yeah, like just... basically just ripping on <laughs> yeah. Disney Park families I think like that's the feeling yeah. I got from yeah. it it's like <laughs> that's kind of what I felt too I was like those are those guys are driving <laughs> right. down to Florida right now like, that's a Disney Park family yeah and they're fucking shitting in their mouth right now <laughs> yeah, I'm like exactly. this is really good actually guys <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And they're just letting the kids run rampant on this thing that, yeah. like, if it was a roadside attraction, this dude clearly would have spent a bunch of money on this thing. And it's just like, yeah, kids, go ahead. Fucking push those steps around, whatever. Yeah, smash <laughs> yeah. on the stairs or whatever <laughs> exactly. you want. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> also, he's lucky that that ship's not, like, you know, malicious. Because, like, it could probably vaporize the little yeah. fuckers, too. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the ship, like, there's some fucking decent computer generated graphics in this for 1986. Yeah. A lot of that was CG actually. Yeah. I was surprised when I was looking it up that like lots of the the flyby shots and stuff were were handled by CG. Yeah. And you can kind of, you can see it obviously now cuz like the reflection mapping doesn't work right or whatever like it's all very wobbly but like for 1985 I was like actually you know what that's not bad man like mm-hmm. that holds together real nice. Also the production design of the inside yeah. of the ship yeah. is excellent. Like just really really solid and the way it like modularizes itself yeah, the chair coming up out of the floor and everything yeah. and yeah i was like this is all really cute and clever like yeah. this works really nice they did a really good job of like whoever got to do the production design on the ship yeah yeah fucking crushed it like i got i should actually have looked it up to see who worked on it because they obviously so again it's like disney guys doing disney shit right they're still the best in the world you know if they're working on flight of the fucking navigator and not and yeah or whatever so I heard you make that dick, yeah. motherfucker. I heard you. <laughs> and I even like the simplicity of the design of Max, like just having it be the eyeball. Like it is a little, it starts off yeah, really yeah. threatening, but the more you get used to it, the more endearing it gets, I guess. Like it's not like. I mean, they ripped that effect off because that's just the Star Wars thing. We've been seeing the yeah. Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> but in Star Wars, it's kind of like threatening and invasive. But it, here it's kind of like. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it is kind of invasive at the beginning, but it starts to like it hovers more yeah. behind him and near him, like like a guardian angel kind of thing near the end of the movie and stuff. And that's again, that's good puppetry, right? Is being able to have that same, yeah. you know, just fucking articulated like eye on an articulated arm, but being able to give that personality. Yeah. You know, Max has a different personality yeah. pre and post the David's brain scan and like all those little puppets and stuff like that. The little alien puppets and stuff. Yeah. There's some good stuff yep. in there as well. So, yeah, it's another again, another fucking example of some really excellent puppetry yep. coming from Disney in the 80s. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And on like a nine million dollar budget, I think this was like less than ten million bucks to make and yeah. in, in 80s. That's in 80s money, but still like for inflation, not bad. Not like bad. they did a pretty good job, and it actually made its budget back in the box office, which Return to Oz I don't think did. So no, no. It, did not. <laughs> it was more of a success in the home VHS. I would imagine Return to Oz has had like one of those movies. I feel like maybe it's just because I listen to you talk too much, but like has, has retained its audience and like has continued to like probably earn Disney money in DVD sales. They're probably like we never made a loss on that because weird people buy that fucking movie yeah. every yeah. couple on years Blu-ray or, or like, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's that Disney Vault model, man. It worked for a long time. 
Yep. Yeah. It's dead now. So, well, I guess it doesn't have to be. I guess they can start vaulting shit on the streaming service. But, like, I wonder how that's going to work for them when people are kind of used to... Being able to have everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Like, if that, how that's going to work for disney when they decide to start vaulting stuff people are yeah. well they can start vaulting things once they kill netflix well, just a matter of time right so <laughs> <laughs> well that's yeah i was gonna say it's just a matter of time i mean they are people. still on the disney plus service there is still like sections that say like from the vault kind of thing so they've they're still keeping yeah. that concept there for now it's matter but you know basically right now i don't think there's any of their animated movies that you can't see on there you know in terms of the the major releases anyways i wanted to point out again the music in this movie as well the score i really really like yeah i think it was alan silvestri who did the score for this yep. and he's done stuff like who framed roger rabbit avengers, avengers flight of the navigator uh, which is an it, amazing score <laughs> just uh, overall yeah, sure. really again good production value overall for 1986 for a family film on a pretty small budget still a disney movie like i think that's the thing though like it's still a disney movie like in the disney studio system or whatever like that machine that is the disney studio is they're good at doing this kind of stuff when they put their like they build a system to yeah. do this kind of thing right and like remember the 80s they had this system of just like we just make live action movies and it's been going on since the 60s and yeah, we just yeah. keep doing. We it, right? we burn out these kids, and then we move on to the next group. And then this yeah. one ends up fucking being convicted robbing for possession. Oh. Yeah, and then robbing a Scotia Bank in 2016. Oh my god! Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be our lead actor. Yep, Joey Kramer, who played David. He's a Canadian guy that fucking yeah. robbed a bank in Edmonton and like three years ago. Former child stars. Yeah, yeah. former child stars. I think the the residuals from Flight of the Navigator. No, probably not. not. For him, I guess. Probably not. Yeah, I'm sure his contract did not include a lot of residuals and royalties for. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> he's not getting yeah. any. He's not getting any taste of this Disney Plus money. That's for sure. He doesn't have one of them RDJ deals, right? Like, yeah. He's not getting some of the back. <laughs> yeah. Because he was in that fucking oh, what was that movie Daryl before this? Like D A R Y L. Like it was like a fucking kid cyborg movie or something like that. Yeah. And oh, yeah, af- yeah, but after Flight of the Navigator, he didn't do much. So, like, he's fine, but he's not like great. There's better oh, child actors out yeah. there, you know. And like, this is the Disney system. Like, they get a new one every like 15 minutes, walking through the door, yep. trying to break in, so. <laughs> or a new set of parents ready to exploit their child to the point where. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say in a nice way, without having to go down the negative <laughs> road that we <laughs> when it comes to talking about. But fucking... let's be real here. I mean, there were yeah. Dinah Lohans before there was Dinah Lohan. You know, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That the evil showbiz parent is not a trope that exists yeah. for no reason. Oh man, so. I've been rewatching Thirty Rock, and when uh, Jenna Maroney's mom shows up, good times. So appropriate. Oh, fuck. God, that show's so good. <laughs> I gotta watch that again. It's been so I'm long on season since I six that. already because I've been. Yeah. So, final thoughts on Flight of the Navigator, Tim. What are your final thoughts? This holds up pretty good for me, just as like a fun sci-fi adventure movie. I remember being pretty captivated by it as a kid. Like, I thought like the design of the spaceship, both inside and outside, was really fucking cool. Like, looking back on it for me is like this is like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but for mm-hmm. kids. You know, like the Disney-fied version of it kind of thing. And so, yeah, you know, I, I understand it's not perfect, but I have so much nostalgia for this that I would probably give it like, I'll give it like 8 out of 10. All right. Mark, how about you? Fair enough. I'm just like, I'll give it a, the same 6 that I gave the other <laughs> one because I'm like, it's not terrible. My thing, I think what we should be saying is like, if you were one of those people who there is a podcast named after, um, what's it called? 
something about parenting while nerdy. <laughs> I can't remember anymore what the podcast is called. But either way, that podcast, like if you were that podcast and you were trying to find stuff to like on Disney Plus put in front of your kids to kind of show them what you nerded out about when you were their yeah. age, I would put these two movies in front of them. Absolutely. I don't have that problem <laughs> i guess i don't know how else to <laughs> so like for me this movie is just kind of like oh yeah i remember watching this when i was a kid a lot i don't need to yeah. see it ever again <laughs> you know what i didn't look up I, I meant to go back and check out which transformer they bought them i'm pretty sure it's thundercracker <laughs> right. like oh yeah it was definitely a decepticon had, you could see the yeah, purple box sure. yeah yeah I, i'm pretty sure i think it's skywarp or thundercracker it's not starscream i can't remember which one it is though but he does get like a bunch of transformers and they, he doesn't really play with them at all i was like motherfucker that yeah. thing is worth bank also is awesome like that's a f-15 yeah. come on it transforms damn it you fucking 70s yeah. kids fine go go yeah. <laughs> gen xers you know i would probably give this like a about a seven as well like i think that hmm. it doesn't hold up to me as much as some of the other 80s like adventure films from this time like to me like the goonies is like the prime example of like that 80s adventure thing that i can rewatch pretty easily whereas if you're going a little bit off the radar like adventures and babysitting i still like it's because it's so fucking weird this is one of those movies, like, I always thought of it, think of The Last oh, Starfighter. Yeah. And this movie also conjures Ender's yeah. Game for me a lot. Like, those three movies are all kind yeah. of wrapped together yeah. in my head. Yeah. So this, like, and War Games. Just because, like, very 80s sci-fi. See, now, nah, War Games, no, nah, those are way yeah. more, like, alien sci-fi. War Games is... Yeah, but it still gives me, like, the, like, child against the government thing that, like, I don't know. But either way. Well, see, that was the thing with this. Like, while they're wandering around NASA and stuff, I kept fucking waiting to, like, pan across and see, like, Fox Mulder (laughs) and Dana Scully walk into the frame. Even though I know it's, like, it's in the 80s and that wouldn't be happening. But I was like, where's Duchovny and fucking Gillian Anderson? Because this is, like, I felt like an early episode of The Mm X-Files. Just the way it was shot and, like, how it was framed and, like, how you, like, the way they were telling the story which is kind of a very grounded sci-fi story. I was like, this feels like early X-Files to me. So I, in that way, I was like, this is actually pretty cool. It's like proto-X-Files yeah. for kids. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a, a fun movie. And I liked the, I really liked the first two thirds of the movie. And once, once <laughs> Pee Wee Herman voice sets in on Max, I'm less invested, but I, I liked the conclusion. The conclusion was fine. And, you know, like, I don't buy him suddenly tolerating his little brother because that just never happens. It never comes to fruition ever in real life nope <laughs> no, never still. uh still like 30 odd years later i'm still just like god i one of these days i'm gonna be able to it's tolerate never, it's, him st- as you can tell it still has nope. never happened so <laughs> yeah so thus wraps up our weird archive dive of disney plus maybe we'll do another one of these but probably not i don't know we'll see there's there's, a there's plenty of other yeah there's a lot of stuff on disney plus i was thinking about some movies that i would like that are probably might be on there i have to go look i have to go look what's on there that i was like i because i didn't recommend one this time like this is very much a paul and tim <laughs> like you guys recommended these two movies and i was like i don't know what's on there so yeah cool. if, if transformers the movie had been part of the i would have included it in the the lineup it, it seemed that seemed like the obvious nostalgia choice for you but it yeah. just didn't fit the themes and and we would have been or, over or like the the 90s spider-man or x-men series uh, yeah. what i was thinking of was uh i mean the transformers was the one i was thinking of absolutely but like i want to do a whole episode on that movie yeah. at some point but i was thinking masters of the universe uh, was the one yeah, yeah, yeah in my brain for sure you know what I mean? yeah, frank so. langella yeah <laughs> the best thing in that movie is frank langella so. 
Let's do our singless segment, which is our geek cred, where we recommend something geeky from the past or from the present. So, uh, Mark, how about you start us off with geek cred? What are you recommending? Well, first of all, go follow me on Instagram because I'm doing 22 days of Letterkenny right now. So I've done this giant Letterkenny print that you can see on my site if you are friends with me. And I think I posted it to the Facebook group. You can go dig around and find that there. But I, so I'm posting each portrait a day at a time on my Instagram. So at MT underscore Willette. I also posted a ridiculous fucking shot of Shorzy giving himself the ass wash, <laughs> which has like, like 291 likes. If you, I can get eight more likes and get to 300, you will make my year. <laughs> like that would be very exciting for me. Other than that, I am at cons next weekend. So Saturday, November 30th, I'm at Ajax Comic Con at the McLean Community Center in Ajax, Ontario. And then on the Sunday in Stouffville, Royal Canadian Legion. So it's both 10 to 4 o'clock. There's some guests there that, like, Michael Golden's going to be at both shows. So that's kind of cool. And I'll be there with my stuff. So well, go by thing. At this point, at Geek Cred's just now going to be me shilling. Like, I'm, <laughs> that's all. Chill away. The Letter Kenny thing's been a lot of fun. Like, I've been getting a lot, like, tons of response and stuff from it. Like, there's people commenting and, like, shouting memes and shit at me. It's, it's been very entertaining engaging that fan mm-hmm. base. All right, Tim, how about you? What's your geek card for the week? So American Thanksgiving is coming up this week. And as such, there are not a lot of Thanksgiving movies, but one of my favorites that I watch most years on American Thanksgiving is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin and John Candy. Great movie. Because yep. yeah, the whole you know, point of that movie is that Steve Martin's trying to get home to his family for Thanksgiving. And so I fucking love that movie. It's absolute classic. It's, you know, the, both of those guys. John Hughes. Yep, John Hughes. Both of those guys at their absolute fucking, like, comedic peaks that's my favorite steve martin movie yeah it's like, up there he's at yeah. his absolute fucking best he's the most steve martin steve martin can yeah. be in that movie and i super quote like it, i mean it's john hughes to a t it's like super quotable yeah. it's got great musical beats it's like got massive amounts of fucking heart so yeah if it's been a while since you've watched it or if you've never watched it what the fuck are you doing with your life you should watch planes trains and automobiles even if it is not thanksgiving for you yeah yeah Absolutely. Now I feel like going to watch that. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. <laughs> Having just watched Steve Martin as Gavin Velour on 30 Rock, which is my geek cred. Oh, fuck, that's <laughs> it's, right. Yes. Toronto's great, Liz. It's like New York without all the stuff. Go yeah. watch 30 Rock, you monsters. Like, I know it's been off the air for a while, but not on Netflix in Korea. I don't know where you can find it. It's like probably on NBC streaming or something. I, I think it's still on Netflix in Canada or in the U.S. It's not in Canada. It's on Crave in Canada. Oh, okay. Because um, I, was, I was flipping through episodes, so I, it may, it's probably on the HBO. It's NBC, so I don't know where the NBC show is. I watched up. it on Netflix, but might okay. not be on Netflix anymore because I know fucking NBC has their whole Peacock thing. Yeah. But if you get a chance, like, go watch it. I think that it still holds up. It's It's got a lot of weird celebrity cameos where the celebrities play themselves like because they're in the nbc studio you get to see like kelsey Grammer acting like a total fucking psychopath conan o'brien trying to date conan like o'brien my favorite fucking guy so like many people time. acting as total total yeah. fucking psychopaths yeah yeah it's a very zany show but it's so well written and it still makes me laugh and it like one of the main writers on there was donald glover before he became famous on community and then even more famous later yeah, as childish gambino so like yeah he was on the yeah, staff he, that's how we got the job on community because he was working for nbc already and uh, tina fey recommended him for that show i guess like she recommended him to harman yeah and they definitely make a joke about his character on community on 30 rock after (laughs) he leaves the writer's room so yeah go check it out it's seven seasons of pure hilarity and it's one of those shows where normally when things start to get 
weirder or the characters start to like get flanderized and like yeah this show becomes a cartoon get, eventually yeah. but like i it is one of those it's shows funnier, where like, I, yeah it's better it's a show where like i would normally complain about the show everybody becoming a cartoon on the show but like the yeah. show it maintains its heart at the same time and it's still very very yeah. funny also like the chemistry between tina fey and alec baldwin mm-hmm. is second to none yeah. in comedy yeah. like ever like they are so fucking good together they may be the perfect comedy duo for yeah. me, I've never. I can't remember up watching a sitcom where there was like two people who were the leads on the show, and also never really have a romantic entanglement. Really, they joke about. Yeah. They joke it. about they it. They love. They make jokes about, about it constantly, but they never do it, which is amazing. And like, yeah, but like their ability to play off each other is like just like chef's kiss. I know we keep <laughs> using that on the show, but like it is so good. Yeah, so. it is so good. And yeah, they formed the foundation of the show, but Tracy Morgan and oh, Jane Krakowski. Jesus. Tracy yeah. Morgan on the show is great. It's so great. Uh, Jane Krakowski is Jenna Maroney. Um, the crazier she gets, the fucking more hilarious she is. Yeah. She's like the more narcissistic and insane, the better. So, and then there's, I've just started the Kenneth where they start joking that he's like an eternal being, <laughs> <laughs> like it's possibly angel thing, yeah. alien. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, with, I haven't gotten to the the episode where Catherine O'Hara plays his mom, but I'm so looking forward. I love Catherine O'Hara Catherine so amazing, much. Yeah. yeah. So go watch Thirty Rock. There's so there's just so much to love about that show. Yeah. So that's my geek cred. So let's wrap this shit up because it's been a long time. And uh, <laughs> that's what happens when we try and do more than one movie an episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One day yeah. we'll learn our lesson. Never again. <laughs> no. Nah. One day. But it is no, not this day. No, we won't. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for listening to our podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe via any podcasting app that you use, like uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, or Spotify. We'd also love you to give us a rating. If you guys like our show, give us a good score if you don't like our show don't rate us please just leave us alone (laughs) Um, and also if you have anything you'd like to tell us about the news that we covered or the movies that we watched or anything about disney plus you can get a hold of us on facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast on twitter at drd underscore podcast or email us at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com so say good night Tim. Good night, everybody. And say good night, Mark. Good night, everybody. I've been Paul. May your dreams be haunted with weird 80s special effects. Enjoy. But here's my thing. In Flight of the Navigator, how long after the credits end do you think it is before their dog eats that little alien that uh, David brings back? <laughs> oh. <laughs> things fucking bite-sized. <laughs> My thing was more like, why would I would just drown my little brother at that point? Like as soon as we're on the boat, like, why, why is he not dead? Well, yeah. you've seen too much. Yeah, yeah, he knows too much. <laughs> he needs to go. Anyway, he must die. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Episode over. And on that note, good night, everybody. Yeah. Not moving back to Canada because I know what my future holds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.